do do that thing you did again where you did hey yo. Okay, Podcast episode twenty one. What Remedios Faro was twenty. Yes, I think. Yep. Then this will be twenty one. Twenty one. The podcast can now buy liquor. It is twenty one years old. Yes, it's episode twenty one. Sinead O'Connor is the theme of our episode. Mm Hmm. Chosen by you, Chosen I by will me. admit, but I'll just come out and say this is one of my favorite artists we've covered so far. And I'm saying that now as a yeah. new, someone who's listened to more of her music because I wasn't before, super familiar. Before her, who was your favorite so far? Was it Steely Dan? Was it no. Interpol? <laughs> <laughs> as far as just what my own like music taste is, then yeah, Interpol Or was, was it Smashing Pumpkins? You know, I don't even think about them as like, ranking by how much i like the artist i'm more interested in whether or not the episode was interesting uh-huh. and on that level steely dan was very interesting <laughs> it was a very divisive interesting conversation but musically speaking this uh Sinead was your favorite from your assignment your homework tasks of listening to her music yeah i, th- I have a newfound respect for her as an artist Big time. And we'll talk more about this, but let's first let's take a shot. Um, to celebrate Sinead um, ethnicity and her and her what she's done. I one thing I've learned about her, she doesn't drink. She she's not a drinker. So maybe, this is not a form of we're not disrespecting her, but you know, we said like, you know, we're talking about Irish culture. Let's well let's not let, why not let drink uh, Irish whiskey. And we went with uh proper twelve triple distilled irish whiskey mm-hmm. so we're gonna take a shot uh and then we can review it and see if you like it or not cheers by the way i think the correct term would be nationality for nationality irish irish irishness thank you for correcting me very good very smooth i've never heard of What's it? Proper 12 before? I'm not, I don't really, not very adventurous in the liquor aisle at the store. So if it's mid, mid-tier or higher, I will just ignore it and not try it. But uh, it's very good. But whiskey. between you and me, you're more of a whiskey drinker than I am. Uh, I haven't had whiskey in months, but back in my heaviest drinking days, it was probably my go-to liquor. I'm really trying to cut back. Which yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious that we've got like 
whiskey and two full pints of Guinness in front of us. Yeah, speaking of another let me, Irish, let me add my coffee uh, whiskey to my coffee. You know, the funny thing is, like, did you put any of mine yet? No, I did not. I, I want to try. It. I don't I, because I didn't want you know it would be wrong for me to do that unless I ask for it. So I just let it, you do it. Um, you know, um, with uh, on the Instagrams, I do Greendale reviews, and uh, and Get I do it plastered, dr- and I do I do it drunk because people really enjoy it. Uh, the thing is, I don't drink much. Like I don't do it as much, and I and I hope I don't have the reputation or the aroma or no pun intended the aura of like Oscar's a drinker. He likes to drink all the time, but like I do notice that when I drink with you or when I do the odd podcast, like alcohol, I do need some of the alcohol so I can just loosen up. You know, I don't want to be a a tight tight Tim, <laughs> tight Timothy. Tight Tim. I want to be. I've never a, heard that expression. I just before. made it up. Uh, I want to be more of a loosey goosey. So, alcohol is a very powerful substance in those ways. Yeah. It's so easy to overdo, but it does just get that that lubrication of the vocal cords for yes. like <laughs> talking. You are right. But about honestly, that. there's better substances that can do the same thing with far less harmful effects on your body. You're 100 percent right about that. Ah. Uh, which I was kind of doing some last-minute research on Sinead, and uh, she's not a drinker. She's more of a weed toker. So Yeah. Mm. I think she came out publicly and went to rehab in the early 2000s for her weed addiction, and she was like, I've been a weed smoker for like my whole adult life, but she felt like it was becoming a problem. That's fascinating. I can because, I can put the news article. No, in no, the I believe episode. you. I believe you. It's just it's fascinating because like normally when you hear people who go to rehab is for heavier drugs and not weed. Yeah, that's usually the case, but it can be just as much of an addiction as anything else. No, no doubt about that. But like, I'm just kind of, kind of, kind of proud of Shinette for realizing like, oh, this is a problem. I got to fix myself. Because a lot of pot smokers out there is like, this is not a problem. I can stop whenever I want. And then like 30 minutes after that, them saying that, they take another hit. So, <laughs> you know, so yeah. good for and her it's for also doing that. not great for vocalists, I feel like, because I don't know how she was consuming the weed, but I'm assuming she was smoking it. Yeah. And you can hear, even in her speech and in interviews, her voice gets progressively like deeper and yeah. raspier as her yeah. life went on, which to me is... Like kind of a shame because her voice was so pure and like high. She could hit those high notes earlier in her life, and then like I probably from smoking so much, she can't. I mean, age is also another issue. You know, as you get older, your vocal ranges are going to be different too. So it is, but then how do you explain people? I can't name examples, but there's some old singers who can still hit really high notes. Oh, just take practicing a lot, just practicing and preservation, preservation, not smoking, not smoking. Eating healthy, eating a vegan diet. Yeah. It's a lot of people, what people do. But I saw your reaction when you put whiskey in your coffee and you took not, a sip. Not bad. You liked it? You liked it? It was nice. I feel like to be a proper Irish coffee, we were saying it also needs cream. Yeah. But would it also have like sugar or anything? Something yeah, to make it sweet? Know, if you like it sweet, I guess. I just, I just wanted to add whiskey to my coffee. Bailey's Irish cream, I think, is a pretty sweet liqueur. And I've had that in coffee. It's pretty tasty. So, the next thing we're going to be drinking is a Guinness, <laughs> a Guinness beer. 
I will admit to you folks that I'm kind of scared of drinking a Guinness. Uh, let me let me tell you my history of drinking Guinness. When I first started drinking beer in my early 20s, people were telling me how Guinness is great. So I drank Guinness. The first time I didn't like it. The second time was okay. And the third time I was like, all right, this is pretty good. But overall, I just didn't care for it because it was just heavy. I was I, f- I feel like instead of drinking, I feel like it was I'm chewing it. You know, like of like I'm eat, like I'm eating food, like drinking food. If that makes any sense, it's just very heavy. <laughs> but then I went to Ireland in November, and yeah, obviously Guinness is everywhere. And it, and you hear people who go to Ireland and they say, "Oh, you got to drink Guinness; it's fantastic." So I'm like, sure, you know, when in Rome, do do what they do, right? I drink it and mind blowing, mind blowing. Uh, the clouds parted, heaven. It was fantastic. It was it was great. Like uh, it was smooth. It was refreshing. It was f- creamy. It just it, it it was a stout, but it didn't feel like a stout. I, I felt like a Mexican drinking a Corona in Mexico because when you drink that, it's just like a, a great way to hydrate. And I felt like Guinness was a hydrating drink, like because it, it, it did it, it did feel refreshed, you know, when afterwards. But which made me angry because I. Remember drinking this in America, and it was the opposite. I felt like it was like heavy. I felt like, you know, that feeling after Thanksgiving where you ate a lot, and you just, you just, yeah, you just feel the heaviness. That's how I felt drinking Guinness in America, but it was the opposite feeling in Ireland. Now, how much of that is set and setting, like the location influencing it, or is the Guinness actually better in Ireland? I think the Guinness is better in Ireland, and I asked some people about it, and they said it's the water. Though it's really important is the quality of the water. Is there a Guinness plant brewery in the states that yeah. makes the North American supply of Guinness? Because why would the water be different if it's actually imported? Uh, well, they just they just announced recently they're going to make one in Chicago soon. So you, I guess you're going to see a, a difference of quality of Guinness in the future. I, this is making me really so need to drink try it. this. So. so let's drink it. And I'm curious. I, I'm kind of scared, but we'll see how it goes. Got a little warm sitting here while we were setting up, but still, still, it's cool. Good. It's good. Um, definitely, it it, uh, it improved quality from the last time I drank it in in the Americas, which was 10, 12 years ago. Is it better than or just as good as drinking it in Ireland? No, but it has improved. In Ireland, you were getting it on draft, I'm assuming, yes. in a bar. Yes. So that's already a very different experience. Yes. You can even f- feel that with American beers in a bottle versus in a tap. And you poured these out of cans. It's not nearly as foamy and stuff. But it's also not that heavy. Not as heavy as I was expecting from your like chewing the beer description. It's pretty, it's pretty drinkable. Yeah. It's not good. I mean, this is not bad. Not bad. Not bad. That's what I meant by that. Freudian slip. Hmm. Yeah, I I always think it's cool when like you're watching a movie or a show and people go into the the bar and order a Guinness and it's like it tells you a little certain something about that person and their ideals. Like there's something very like working working man, but with like a historical connotation to can you it elaborate more on that this is the first time i'm hearing this i didn't know i mean this. you can judge people a lot by what they order in a bar i feel like okay and guinness like are they are they drinking pbr or are they drinking uh 
Stella Artois. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> They're so, just different different connotations. Each of these beers. Have. Are are you are you a person of the bar, like culture? Do you? No. Should, neither am I. Um, so I just want to still like think about it. I want to ask you. So like, if a person orders PBO, what kind of person are they? They're either broke and it's all they can afford is like the three dollar can of beer at the bar. <laughs> Or um, they're affecting a certain kind of hipsterness. Sorry, I'm I'm looking at. I hear the fans spinning on my computer, and I don't know why. That usually doesn't happen. Maybe I'm gonna quit some tabs. Hopefully, that'll make it better. It it usually doesn't do this. I'm hoping nothing's wrong. You got you got good clean ears. Hey, remember that movie? Uh, Robert recommended us watching. Check check check. The the wolf one about the the guy in the sub, submarine movie, did you did you watch it? I remember this it conversation was a in the group thread, but I don't know. The, I it was a French it. movie. And why did he recommend it? Oh, he just thought it was good, so he he recommended it to us. I also remember remember him recommending The King with Timothy Chalamet, and that was a good one too. That is that was yeah. a good one. Yeah, no, but. What was it about the submarine movie? Well, I'm recommending it to you, right? I'm bringing this up is because he's got a very good ear. He's got a golden ear. Like he was the kind of he was the guy whose job was basically by hearing the what's outside the submarine. The he could tell if it was a whale or any animal or what kind of missile it was because sometimes the missiles would mimic the whale, so it can you know uh, bypass it. So he could tell which kind of missile it was if it, if it was full or empty. And all that stuff. So I was kind of complimenting you because, like, we're talking and talking, and then you hear this fan thing. It was like, oh, I'm sorry, guys. Let me just do this with the computer. So you got I good ears. I am sitting closer to you than it. Yeah. Than you. To but, it. Than you. But you got good ears. So I'm complimenting you. Take a compliment. I mean, you can hear it too, right? Yeah, I can hear it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that you brought it up, I can hear it. <laughs> It's like when something's off in your environment that you're in every day, like you notice it more. <clears throat> I remember one time in, El- in Elgin after band practice, this is a decade ago, give or take, we were just chilling in the porch and it was raining and it was thunderstorm. And I guess the thunder struck very bad to the point that all the light went out, right? And I can hear the light went from... Mm, like that and i just i just felt like wow we are what's the word i'm looking for we are like there's so much light noise disturbance all the time to the point that you don't know that it's there until it's off yeah and one of them is electricity that's interesting that's like a dystopian moment (laughs) to suddenly feel the power go off in your suburban hellhole yeah I'm going to pause something real quick just to turn off the track that's recording the amp because we don't need it for a while. Check, check. Uh, I want to apologize to all the people who got recommended this video because you watch a lot of Sinead O'Connor videos and this might pop up in your feed. And uh, it's been 10 minutes and we haven't really talked about Sinead O'Connor yet, but that's just how we do things here on the Oddcast. We go on tangents <laughs> but we, we do speaking we do. of which two things <laughs> okay what's up <laughs> i've got a bone to pick with you about Holy something shit, what the fuck did i do <laughs> and then i also want to hear a bit more about your trip to ireland okay. because it's related to the topic okay um and we're talking about guinness and stuff but uh you just told me to take a compliment 
You're one to talk. <laughs> and we could do a whole segment on taking compliments and how, how important it is to just, you know, give a simple thank you. And I'm guilty of that just now. I didn't, I didn't just say thank you and move on because I didn't feel worthy of the compliment of having good ears because I'm sitting right here. It doesn't, doesn't, it's not no, it's nothing special, but you, I give you, try to give you a genuine compliment about your art, which for example, we have a great painting here that you made and then you brought over and you're like, this sucks, paint over it. And that's really cool. I feel like, but if I had, would, would, were to tell you that, you'd find a million excuses for why it's shit. I mean, one time I remember putting it on Facebook, like, hey, who, anybody wants this? And nobody replied. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, cool. And then years later, here we are. And I'm like, okay, Dylan, you can have anybody this. Anybody want, maybe they felt like, like they're not, they don't want to spend money on it. They like, they feel like it's worth something, but they're like, well, what does that mean? Does anyone want this? Like, do I, do they want to? Does well, he want me to buy it, or what's going on with this random offer? And I've never seen this before. Yes, like, but let's go deeper to the surface. What is it that you like about it? Are you even an abstract person? I'm not, but I like fooling around with it. I can appreciate abstract art, but that's not. Is this like even abstract, abstract art? It has text in it, and text is something I'm. I've been thinking more about and like wanting to integrate into my work because I find it it's really a powerful, effective tool, but I and like you've got this hope question mark and there's a maze like implying that hope is uh futile in a way, like we're all just trapped and it looks like a maze to me. Maybe that's not what you were going for, but all those spirals. Okay. But when I say something's good, like I it's a gut visceral thing like I'm not I'm not intellectualizing it it just works it's cool it like it's visually interesting and when you think more about it it feels like there's something more there to dig into it doesn't feel like empty and superficial so I just feel positively towards it I I, I didn't have a whole essay planned out in my head when I said it's a good painting but well, yeah. one thing Sinead and I have in common is that we are victims of being raised Catholic. And no 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 way sense shape or form I'm saying that I I have suffered exactly like Sinead, which I haven't, but I do relate to her on Catholicism and then that's one of the reasons why maybe I can't take a compliment because there's a lot of guilt and then in Catholicism, you know, they strive upon the guilt. So when I hear someone complimenting me, I'm like, nah, 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 look at this, look at that. You know what that tells the other person? It means your opinion is wrong and you're stupid for saying this is good. It's like immediately putting skepticism but, on that person's opinion but it's also a double-edged sword because if i say thank you i'm great then i'd be like a, that's just, what you should say just just as much as an egoist as kanye and people don't no. want that saying thank you to a compliment does not make you egotistical it means you're but it, but you're it humbly accepting how you say that the, person's opinion but let's just say you say a compliment and i say like yeah i know well don't say that yeah say but i don't you. but like but thank you is also empty it's just like one is use more really words. Not. It's it's a powerful no, expression. I don't want to use thank you. I want to be like, really? Can you tell me? Well, maybe I, maybe I should say more. Like, can you tell me why you like it? But then if I ask more, then I'm, I sound annoying, and that's another fear I have because I know that I have the reputation of being annoying. <laughs> 
So, so maybe well, you got to read the room, and I know you're good at that. No, I th- I'm very bad at that. I'm very you're pretty good at it. Like I think you can pick up on the subtle nonverbal cues. That Are you sure? Whether I'm or not someone wants it. to have a my deeper friends conversation. Will, put, will go in the comment sections and say all this stuff. It's like, oh, Oscar did this and that, all this stuff. Yeah, if you're watching this yeah. and you have some dirty laundry to air oh about Oscar, no. especially concerning uh, compliments, because that's the topic. Oh no! <laughs> Feel free oh, to leave no. a comment, dude. No, this is gonna be a lot, man. Oh, this is hard. Now I'm embarrassed. Like you can tell that my face is red. Is it red? I can't tell if it's red, but I got the feeling it's red. I don't notice anything oh. out of the ordinary. I always get self-conscious about that too because I know I do blush and I can feel it happening. And it, when I feel it, it makes it worse because I'll be conscious of it and it makes me more red. Uh-huh. But it's a deeper hole. Yeah. I mean, this was a hard lesson for me to learn, too, because I would get compliments and I would do exactly what you do. And I would be like, no, it's not that good. It's I there's all like pointing out all the faults in your own thing. But you got to realize that's not why the person's giving you a compliment. They don't want to hear why they're wrong about your comp about their compliment. That's just that's so rude and like dismissive. So just accept it and move on. If you want to have that deeper conversation, ask what they like about it. I think most people. If you can tell it's a genuine comment, which it should be, I don't think people should throw out compliments willy-nilly and don't mean them. That's just as bad as not accepting a compliment. That's even worse to be insincere. So you can ask why if there's an opportunity for that, but otherwise just say thank you and move on or some variation of thank you. Just be appreciative. Don't don't like cut them down right on the spot and say like, no, I suck. Don't compliment me. Um, I don't want this to be about me, but I I feel like I do that as a way to drive myself. It's like I can do better. I can do better, but I also notice that's a a slippery slope to more self hatred, which I'm used to. <laughs> so how do you how yeah. do you love yourself, Dylan? How do you how do you? Because I know you have these issues. I know. That, I mean, you don't bring it up. You don't talk about it. So I'm asking as a friend, as advice, like, how do you I've always accept had a compliment? Is, is a, I know that's a, that's a, that's a, one of the first steps. But like internally, when you when you go to these rabbit holes of 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 self criticism and doubt, what's the best way to get out of it and give yourself like love to yourself? Like, I got this. I can do this. For me, it's it's much less about actively loving myself than just like not hating myself, if that makes sense. Like I'm not, I've always struggled with that too. I hear about the importance of self-love and I see why it is important, but I'm not a person who can just like shower myself with positive affirmations and pat myself on the back for every little thing. But I can, I know when I'm being unfairly hard on myself and I try to shut that down and be appreciative for the good in my life and just not not being shitty to yourself is really all it takes you don't have to be like fakely praising yourself i want to steer steer us back on course because i think Sinead o'connor has a good outlook on this she was she had the catholic guilt and all all this stuff like i don't know much about her uh history with religions i know she adopted a few different ones in her life yes that's true which we'll talk more about it later we'll talk more about but um 
she was clearly proud of her work. And there was a really funny article I read on a website while researching, and I'll put the link in the video, where she called she called up an a reviewer on the phone who had given a bad review to no, it was her last album, I think. I'm not bossy, I'm the boss. He he claimed it was better than all her like recent albums and she called him it was a good review he said it was a good album but she wasn't satisfied with that because it implied that her recent albums were worse so she was like i think it's unfair that you dismissed my earlier work and i want you to listen to every album in my catalog and and like tell me what you think and i'll I'll bet you a happy meal at mcdonald's that you'll like all my other albums which is so cute and like weird of a, a it's bat. very endearing too it's very it is it's adorable and the reviewer did it and he wrote an article about his experience and also i wanted to mention this too because she told him like take six months to listen to all my discography because she has so much that she felt like it, it should take that long to really sink in and here we are doing this in one month which felt rushed honestly. yeah it does it does feel rushed less I, than a month I and know. um I wish we could have done that because, like, you know, yeah, the, the albums that we did on Spotify that that's done on Spotify, there are some good bangers. Like, I like the song that I was showing you today, like the Queen of Denmark. And you know, I was telling you, like, you know, I might I might not have liked it the album version, but hearing it live gives it a different pizzazz. Yeah, I I think you could dig so deep into all of her albums. I think there's. Pretty much every album has a lot of strong points to it. There's some I like more than others. Again, we'll get to it. But to conclude this little anecdote, the the reviewer listened to everything. And Sinead was right. He said he gave a percentage of songs he liked. He was like, 90% of them I liked. They were like 10% I didn't. But she was right. And I like her her past work was a lot stronger than he had initially given credit for her credit for and he tried to write to her and say like okay i'll give you that happy meal and she like kind of never responded (laughs) (laughs) but he's just some like web web reviewer or actually it might have been for a print magazine but anyway i got off track here but sinead was basically very proud of her work and humble like she wasn't out in everyone's face being like i'm the best artist who ever lived but she felt strongly enough to like advocate for herself and be like this reviewer i can tell hasn't really given me my past work a chance it's funny you say that because i just listened to an interview with the blind boy podcast which this is a i want to promote blind boy podcast uh if you haven't listened to that check him out or check them out sorry i didn't check your pronouns my apologies it's a very very good podcast it's a this person from Ireland, uh, Limerick, Ireland. Um, okay, this is an Irish story because you want some Irish stories. Is this okay? about meeting the person in the bar? Yeah. So I went to <laughs> Thomas Pub in Dublin, and like I'm not a, I'm not a bar guy. I don't I don't do it. But I'm like again, when in Rome, just just go for it, you know? Because I guess the the pub culture in Ireland or the slash UK is or Europe in general, is better than the the pub culture or bar culture here. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go. And I will admit, I even though I'm not social or I don't know how to interact with strangers, I made, I had good conversations with strangers, you know? And one of the conversations was this. I saw him, like, here doing artwork, just, just you know, 
doing the art. The, the, which the artwork that I was working on was um, Memphis Mini, which is on my Instagram. I'll, I'll show it to you later. It's right here. Uh, I was working on that. And then as I was working on it, I'm, I was one of the projects I was doing for the whole Ireland trip, I was trying to catch up on the best show. The pod, another podcast I was listening to because I was like three months behind so I just wanted to catch up and listen to all of it and there was a person right next to me uh, a lovely lady um, and I told her like hey I'm sorry if I'm laughing randomly please don't think I'm like like eavesdropping on your conversation I think it's funny I just I'm listening to a podcast right now and sometimes the things I say it's very funny and then she says like oh if you like if you like comedy you should check out blind boy podcast and I, and she told me about it a little bit and it's it is funny but it's not a comedy it's like there's it's this person that talks about his day-to-day life or how life sucks but also has some humor behind it and this person wears a bag like a plastic bag uh, as a mask like he puts holes for his mouth and eyes so it's a video podcast with this guy talking i'm listening to an audio format but like when they perform he he, you know they Mm. put that on and i found out the reason they put that on is because they feel comfortable Uh, they discover their they have autism and they feel weird like you know sometimes the face can show that you have autism or not you know like if you're in the spectrum or not so they feel like a little bit um, insecure about it. And then, you know, the, the mask feels, makes them feel better, you know? And it's also a, fem- a, 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 a feel of performance art. So I'm listening to it and I'm enjoying the uh, ep- episode and I'm, you know, like enjoying what they have. There's moments that it makes me laugh. There's moments that it makes me want to cry, talking about how global warming is going to kill us all and we're not doing anything about it. Needless to say, um, they performed. Uh, they interviewed uh, Sinead O'Connor, and it was a very wow. good, a very good interview. But I didn't finish it as much. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because Sinead O'Connor said that Sinead does her best, does her best not to listen to any um, critiques, reviews of stuff. Okay. So I'm like, I mean, I guess Sinead, Sinead's a human being. You know, we all have our flaws and everything. But I'm like, you kind of, you kind of like calling yourself a hypocrite right there by the story that you told me because <laughs> she said that like um, it's very dangerous to read good reviews and bad reviews because if you listen to good reviews you think you know you think you're greater than god and if you listen to bad reviews you know you're gonna go to a downhill like what we're talking about now me and not accepting a compliment yeah l- l- let's not jump to yeah. Sinead it's hi- a hypocrite for that because yeah. the article i'm talking about was over 10 years ago it's it's an old article and she died in what 2020 she died this year this year? She died this year. Oh, my gosh. Uh, rest in peace, rest Sinead. In peace. When, when was the podcast you're talking about 2021. So, okay, so that's she was, two years she ago. She was promoting her uh, memoir, which we can talk about that because I'm surprised that you, you quickly reviewed or did some review on the or on it for it. And I, I kind of want to read oh. it. Because yeah, we were talking I about Prince, which the, we'll talk about Prince later. The headlines, the clickbait news articles that the most scandalous points from the her memoir yeah. i haven't read it neither of us have read it yeah. i did see her documentary nothing compares how is it is it good it's fantastic really really good um it's a shame you can't watch it like free on hulu or prime or anything it's on it's like a showtime uh, or yeah, something I was gonna say it's on showtime. one of those but i uh i torrented it sorry Sinead's dead and like who am I giving money to I guess the documentarians but <laughs> it's Sinead's story 
I just outed myself as a pirate, but anyway, uh, I was gonna say something, and now I forgot. Hypocrisy. What it is. Let's not. Uh, oh, reviews. right. I've heard many. Thank you. Yeah. I've heard many artists express that sentiment towards reviews. Like you, you can't let other people's opinions, especially critics, get in your head and dictate what you do. Right. This is my. I'm, I have a bone to pick to critics. I have. I hate it when critics say. This is the greatest album since blah blah blah, and then another album releases and they say the same thing, which makes me say like, oh, so the prior comment you said is you're basically admitting that it's shit, and you're just, you know, you're calling yourself a, you know, you're you're you're, you're calling yourself on your flaws of your bad job of your job that you didn't do a good job. So like like your word has doesn't have value to it if you say that same thing over and over again. Do critics really say that though? No, I don't know I've noticed I've that a lot. That. When I was reading, when I was doing the the, this is before the podcast, but I decided to to do the discography of David Bowie, and they always say the same thing every album in the nineties. This is the best album since Aladdin Zane, oh. and then another album happens in the nineties. This is the best album since Aladdin Zane. I'm like, so, so comparing that artist to their own past, yeah, work, that is something they do a lot. Yeah, and it just infuriates me. Like it's just basically another what what do you call it? clickbait? It's another form of clickbait. Which I hope we don't do that in our podcast. Like we want to do a, a sincere, like granted we rush it a little bit, but we don't <laughs> want to do a sincere like overview of of this artist and what we like them or not. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, I don't think we're doing clickbait, except the Steely Dan thumbnail was kind of clickbait. <laughs> but, um, but again, people gave it a chance and they liked it. Some people. Some people. Like some maybe people. 1%. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't really think of that as being annoying when every critic will, if if something is like a return to form is a, a phrase they like to use a lot if an artist has had a few yeah. like not so great albums yeah. and they make a really good one. Or, but I, I think that's valuable to the consumer. The artist is back. It's that kind of that kind of thing, you know? Artists like do have ebbs and flows yeah. of creativity and not every work is going to hit. So to to know like, oh, this is... This is the best Pumpkins album since Siamese Dream. Like that, that is a meaningful statement. I thought you at first you were meaning like um, they're comparing it to other just albums in general, and like this Taylor Swift album is the best album since Bjork's Medulla. <laughs> just <laughs> random comparisons like that, which I don't think any critic does. But to compare them to their own, the artist they're reviewing's own past work, I, I see the merit in that. I, I do still think music criticism and criticism in general is is weird that's all i can say it's useful but there's a lot of weirdness to it <laughs> and that's not good or bad but <laughs> you've heard the lester bangs oh wait no lester bangs was a critic someone said like critics are just all like failed artists and like uh disappointed like people who wish they were making art but instead they're becoming critics instead. I, th I think uh federico fellini might have said something along those lines one thing federico fellini hated is critics he hated critics with a passion it's like mm -hmm. i'm an artist let me do what i want and you critics are just ruining my art <laughs> he just hated critics with a passion yeah i i can see why when someone like trashes films or anything you put your heart and soul into yeah. It's very, very uh, 
jading or whatever. <laughs> it is. It is. And which is one something I want to give credit, no pun intended, for the courage Sinead O'Connor does in her in her career to just keep on working on her stuff regardless of what has happened in her life and just keeps on doing it. Wait, what's the pun on credit? Because, you know, talk, you were saying credit and I was thinking critic. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that went, that went okay. too far, even for me. My bad. Um, yeah, imagine how strong you had to be to be Sinead in like 92 and rip up the Pope's picture on SNL and have everyone in the country, in, in America and the Catholic world hating you one week after that performance joe pesci says i don't like her i hate her she, I he said he, he said. would like slap her if I she was on if he was her. the host because yeah. he hosted snl like a week okay, later a week later and be, in a year before that she refused to play the national anthem right yes and frank sinatra said i want to beat beat her i want to beat her ass which she, she Sinead was a little bit sad about that because Sinead was a fan of Frank Sinatra. And in my opinion now, both of them died. Sinead, you don't have to worry about it. Your music is better than Frank. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry I said that. But like Sinead has more value and more character than Frank's music. Frank Sinatra. Did Frank, she cover any Frank on Am I... On um, that album, Am maybe I your girl or what was that the yeah. show tunes album called? I yeah, forget what it's yeah, called. Yeah, I, I got that vibe, but and also I, I found out that she wanted to do that album. I thought it was more like a, like maybe oh, the yeah. the recording label wanted her to do that. It's like I she, feel like that was probably the opposite of yeah. what they wanted. <laughs> yeah, that that's that red is a very Sinead doing exactly what she wanted at the time. Move, not a not a label move. I mean, move. There's no song here written by Frank Sinatra, which I, I think Frank Sinatra didn't even write his own music either. But okay. um, there might have been songs that Frank also played, you know, songs like Why Don't You Do Right, Bewitched, Bothered and Bewildered, Secret Love, Black Coffee, Success Has Made a Failure of Our Home, Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, I Want to Be Loved By You, maybe that one, Gloomy Sunday, Love Letters, How Insensitive, Scarlet Ribbons, and that's it. Um, I do want to talk about Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. But okay. we can talk about that now. Let's talk about it now because then I'll forget. I don't like that song. Madonna did it. Now I've discovered that. Sinead did it. And Sinead's version is pretty good, but I don't like that song. I think the best version of that song was sung by Karen Carpenter. I haven't heard Karen's oh, version. check it later. It's mm, mm, smooth like butter. So you do like the song when it's sung by Karen Carpenter. But I don't like that song either. But when she sang it, I was like, okay, it's tolerable. It's you, you just gave a like sign that like oh you actually do like that one version. Yeah, so I do is like it the that song version. or is it the people who pay, played it? I think it's the people that played it. But like Sinead did a good job. But I don't. What I don't like about that album is the the arrangements. I some, I'm very picky in my horn arrangements. I, again, we were talking about this earlier. <laughs> like that 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 big band like Glenn Miller esque type is just sometimes it's a hit or miss. And that album is a big mess for me. Like it was too much for too much horns for me. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of that style, that like big band jazz style, but I thought it was very well done. Um, I didn't have the same reaction to it you did, like because I, as far as music like that in that genre, 
it, it felt as, as good as anything else. It just had Sinead singing. Reminded me a bit of Bjork doing It's Oh So Quiet. Oh, like which I do like Oh So Quiet a lot. But I think Oh So Quiet was like her being a bit sarcastic about that kind of music. Even though she did like it, but she was like making fun of it. Yeah, I mean, it's very in like the shrieking of the vocals in Bjork's song, like, is obviously not traditional, but Sinead has the same approach. Like, she's just being herself with that as a backdrop. And she genuinely loves that kind of music. Obviously, it's not as good as good if you don't like that kind of music as her more, tr- more like rock folk arrangements that feel a little more they make a little more sense with her songwriting Mm -hmm. but i I didn't have any problem with that album what's it called again am i gonna be your girl yeah you kind of said it right uh sorry i should have i still don't remember exactly what it is but it's her third studio album am i not your girl am Am i I not not your your girl girl? am i not your which is is that her way of like you know metaphorically giving the middle finger to to society or to the pop culture after knowing so that she weird. wanted to do this, you know, she was like, I'm doing this. I originally, when I was listening to this, like, oh, maybe the record labels wanted her to do this kind of stuff because this is not Sinead's vibe, but it's I was so wrong. Her vibe. I, I was wrong. <laughs> you really think yeah. after the first two albums she did, she would put out some a whole album she didn't even want to do? There's no way. Because, like, she got big after the second album with Nothing Compares to You, you know? Then she I was big re- doing her thing, though. Yeah, which, she, is, which she, is great. Another thing I want to bring this up in the, for the podcast the reason she cut her hair was her way of protesting uh, against the music industry because she got the record she got the record deal and then right afterwards she cut her hair because she didn't want if she wanted to be big she wanted to be big by her talents not by her looks sure yeah um but even after she was world famous she kept the, the yeah. shaved head for a long time Which, and would like kind of have grow out her hair and then go back to the buzz cut it just became like her image yeah and she looks really good with the shaved head yeah i think she probably discovered that and was like whoa i look really yeah. really good like this and it just kind of became her thing like okay I, I was thinking about what to talk about in this episode and i, I don't want to objectify women because this is not this is not the thing but I was like, would it be funny if we make a list of like the most the best bold females of 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 our you know of the last sixty years and Sinead O'Connor's number one? And who'll be number two or three? I was thinking about that, but I'm like, nah, that would be very distasteful. <laughs> I think you need to define bald because she was or never shaped, like or shaped, bald. Shaped. She always had like stubble grown out. Who would be even number two on the list? I love that you're saying this because Larry David has this conversation that uh, the bald community, they hate, according to Larry David, they hate people who shave their heads. Like, you are a poser, sir. You shaved your head. You purposely did this. You're not bald like me. I was born, you know, I was born to be bald while you just shave your head. I don't feel that way at all. No, but this As is Larry David just going true, agreeing about this. The organic, natural, bald community. Yeah. I, I like it when I see people with a shaved head because it's kind of like, yeah, you've realized that this can be a good fashion choice regardless of whether you have to be this way or not. And Sinead, I think, looks amazing with a, a shaved oh, head. I, I think wonder, she looks at her best with a shaved now head. Now I wonder if the bald community, how they feel about her. If they, if they appreciate her for shaving her head or if they hate her because like you did not organically get bald 
they like us. We you didn't suffer like we did. <laughs> that is the most like black and white, like not not realistic idea of what bald people think. Larry David, he's making a joke. You can't know, you can't like take it seriously. I know, of course. Or he doesn't speak for everyone. I'll course, put it that that's way. That's true. That's true. Uh, I think she inspired a lot of people. I on it. I think Billy Corgan was a lot was inspired by Sinead O'Connor in a lot of ways, and I don't just mean the shaved head thing. Um, you can hear her vocal delivery in a lot of his going from like whisper quiet to like a shriek. Yeah, I've never heard anyone do that until Sinead, um, and. In, in like 90, 91, she was doing that. And then Billy Corrigan starts doing that a couple of years later. Because he wasn't even doing that on their first album on Gish. Yeah, and that's your favorite rock record, right? Or is it Siamese Dream? No comment. I don't have a favorite okay. Pumpkins record. Okay. I'm just saying like he yeah. wasn't doing that on Gish. Yeah, he did. But he started doing it like Siamese Dream and Melancholy. <clears throat> Another thing I want to bring this up. Because like, again, we... we I feel like we are talking about Sinead O'Connor, but we still haven't talked about her, if that makes any sense. Yeah, can you give like a little primer on who she is for the people who have no idea she, who she is? Well, before we do that, we'll, we'll, we'll get to this, but I just wanted to talk to this about you. One thing that Billy and Sinead have in common is another thing, I would say, is the religion aspect. You know, talking about religion or having... Well, obviously, Billy was is more connected with Christianity, well, Sinead is still searching for what's best for him. And as I'm listening to her album, obviously you did the research, I did mine, like you know that she's a huge Bob Dylan fan. So listening to that interview with Blind Boy Podcast, I found out the album that she loved Bob Dylan for. You want to Slow take- Train Coming? Yes, Slow I, Train. I read this in another Slow Train interview. Coming. Out of all the albums in Bob Dylan, it's that one. Yeah, and it makes sense because it was his first Christian record, and Sinead was like, "Wow, Bob Dylan made, quote unquote, religion sexy." I haven't listened. She to said that. Yeah, in the podcast. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> you, she was talking about certain songs that were very sensual, like the the angel song. I forgot what's called. Uh, I'll. I'll be your I believe angel. in you, maybe. There's an angel song. I don't want to look into it right now because then we'll just waste time. But, but she was talking about how that's her favorite, like the first record she liked. I don't know if it's her favorite record, but the, her introduction yeah. record, and and it was very nice to hear that that that's like the the way to open up. But like as I was listening to her album, her discography, not only was I thinking that Sinead O'Connor is an offspring, metaphorically speaking, of Bob Dylan. <laughs> I also I also feel like she's an offspring of Joni Mitchell. Even though there's not that much like she doesn't say like I like Joni Mitchell, but I know she does, but like there's not not, not that much that she says about that. I do see a lot of similarities between her and Joni Mitchell, and I really like Joni Mitchell. Yeah, Joni Mitchell's amazing. I know one similarity, they both have done paintings that became their album covers. Joni's a, a big painter and universal Mother? Mother is That's, a painting by Sinead. Is it really? Um, but as far as musical stylings, they're pretty different. Like Joni never really has that like bite or intensity that Sinead gets to. I, I think. I think she's a lot more mellow. But what what do you see as the connection between Joni like, Mitchell just that, and Sinead? That, that, like, I'm not trying to be funny with this, but like. I heard this comment a long time ago that you grew to appreciate Jodie Mitchell more if you were a woman. 
So like that's a woman said that to me. A woman not a woman said that I heard it from somewhere I forget. It's like like you would appreciate Joni Mitchell more if you like if you're a woman, right? And when I heard that comment, I'm like, God damn it! I wish I was a woman. I wish I had like you know vagina so I can understand Joni Mitchell better. Cause like I really do like her music, but I guess it has a better uh, perspective if you're a woman. And I f- I feel that's the same for Shanette. <laughs> you know, like you you feel the rage, you feel the emotions, the intensity, you feel the 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 vulnerability, the the sensitive sensitivity of her personality as well, and also the courageous act of going through it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I feel like there's. She's an offspring of Joni Mitchell in that sense. Okay. Um, I see what your friend is saying, but I also don't like that sentiment for a couple of reasons. That, and I'm gonna, the person that said that it was a woman too, by the way. Of course. I <laughs> mean, I assumed that from the story, but to me that, that implies that like art can't touch someone as deeply if you aren't the same sex, the same race, like the same as that person. And, and we're all different. And I think art's job is to cross those boundaries and let people experience another person's experience. And if they identify it super strongly because they feel that ex- those exact same struggles, then that's great. But I think art can can transcend who you were born to be and and touch you, even if you're not a woman, even if you're, yeah. Like I think that's that's just a failure of the art to to do that if you if you can't appreciate Joni Mitchell because you're a man, like I think there's a lot of male Joni Mitchell fans in the world who I think can get just as much from, as from her work as a woman can. Um, and same with Sinead. I, I feel like I know exactly what she's speaking about in a lot of ways. Have I experienced the struggle of being a 20 year old mother in Ireland where abortion is illegal and, like just all these societal things she was dealing with? Of course not. But from reading about her life and listening to the music, I can put myself in her shoes. And that's that's her art doing what it's supposed to do. So Sinead yeah, yeah, O'Connor you're right, you're was born right. in 1966 in, in Dublin, Dublin, Ireland, yes. <laughs> making her about 20 when her first album came out. We're, we're jumping ahead, but uh, we, have we should give a tiny bit of background in her life um do you know much about her early life her family life well um i did some quick research uh you know she she really loved her father but i guess there was a lot of um this is one of the bad things about me i should stop saying um so please i I apologize i do it all the fucking time too i I, I try to stop it's not good it's not good we you know we we're not professionals but we're we're better than that Ums are a researched and documented part of English speech, and every language has ums. True. I guess the reason we say um is because we're trying to think of what to say next. It's, it's a buffer. Yeah, you know? it's a buffer. It's like a placeholder syllable to make it clear that you're not done talking, and True. sometimes it just provides a bit of punctuation in a thought. You're right, you're right. It has its purpose. Okay, but it gets annoying when you say too much, um, so um, I always um, try yeah. to stop. Yeah, I always totally. try to stop myself, but I can't help it. So, so um, Sinead O'Connor's father and mother—it eh, wasn't the healthiest relationship. They they yeah. they divorced or they separated. 
And for despite a, I, divorce, I think was divorce was illegal still in Ireland. So somehow her, so they found a way. They her found dad, a way. I think, was actually an activist for pro-divorce yeah. legalization. <laughs> and then her father, I forget the right word for it, but like he later on turned out to be a lawyer. But there's a yeah, there's an a barrister. Thank you. That's the word. And then later on in life, uh, went to the U.S. and found a woman and married a woman from Virginia. And I guess I think uh, Sinead O'Connor had a good relationship, not a good relationship, but like a healthy relationship with the, with her stepmother. The biggest uh, red flag of this podcast, of the story, is Sinead O'Connor's mom. Her Sinead O'Connor's mom was physically abusive, verbally abusive, emotionally abusive, Encourage uh, her to steal from the collection plate at yes, church. Just yes. all around kind of a, a unethical person. And 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 arguably the the initiator, the motive of her mental health is Sinead O'Connor's mom. Um I was gonna talk about this later on the podcast. Maybe we can talk about it now. Um Generational trauma is a big issue, and that's one of the things that Sinead has suffered in her life. And when you watch movies like Hereditary, and I, and, and I'm sorry if I'm bringing this up, even shows like The Soprano, generational trauma is a thing. Like, granted, a person died or a person is not in the picture at all whatsoever. However, they are the puppet master, and they are still suffering from from them, and they're still using using you know, their children or offspring as, as puppeteers. Wait, can, I, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but can I ask you for clarification? Cause I don't know, I'm not up on my generational trauma thing. I've heard the phrase a yeah. lot, but I don't understand if it's like implied to be a genetic thing that passes down or if it's the effect of like nurture conditions. It's both. It's both. What if somebody had no, no contact with their dad or for example, but their dad went through extreme trauma before he had his sperm it created that child. It skips a generation. Uh, so did, it's that that then it's, it's not both. Then it's not nurture or it's not nature. I'm saying. All right, it is because I'll say this to you. I, I don't know the story. I, I want to talk about Sinead and I want to give respects to her. But so I'm sorry if I'm if I'm skipping to it. But like, Sinead's son killed himself. I know. That's yeah. that's a that's a. Oh, he also go through went through a form of. Uh, emotional trauma or like mental health issues which yeah which her mom also went through some stuff if you're going to be physically verbally emotional abusive obviously something happened to her where she went like that so you think that the, Sinead's son got it from Sinead's mom and it it's 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 proven Sinead? it's proven it skips a generation how did Sinead die it, to this day, nobody knows how she died. It's unproven. My theory, my theory is that she killed herself. As a mother... I'm kind it, of leaning that way, too. As a mother, imply... when you find out that your son died, and then a couple days, several days later, you're dead, too, I think she killed herself. I felt that way, too, just from the lack of information out there about her cause of death. But that would mean she had... Her emotional problems were just as severe. She made it to her 50s, but... I don't know if you know this too, which makes me proud being a Chicagoan. She also lived around this area too, like Will Met with area. Remember that story? Like she went missing around here. She for also a while. tried to kill herself around this t- around here in Chicago. 
Like I believe yeah. I forget some some law enforcement stopped her. I don't know if it was the CPD or Will Will Met PD or Winnetka PD, but they stopped her. And the first thing when I heard that was like, "What? She was living in Chicago?" <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I rem- I remember that news story, and I was also surprised yeah. to hear it. Uh, so we, like, we're just uh, speculating here. We don't know all the nuances I mean, of she, her personal she's also, life. She also suffered through bipolarism, too. Sure. Um, and that's another thing. Uh, yet, you know, she's going through a lot. She went through a lot. And, and I really do feel for her because, you know, her mom did a, did a big harm to her health. And I, listening to her music, like the song, The Healing Room, is that one of them? The healing song. What album is that on? I forget. I forget. It's one of the one of the later ones. Um, so like hearing that she knows, she, like it's very courageous for her to realize these are problems, and yes, she wants to fix them. And I'm proud of her for that. Yeah. Well, that was a long tangent yeah, off of is. her mom's uh, mental <laughs> or physical and mental abuse, but. It to get back to. on track, her mom died in a bus a, a car accident really? when did. she was about 18. Sinead was about 18. Wow. So she was out of the picture from at the start of Sinead's professional career, pretty much. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, that but makes she a already didn't have much relationship with her. She went to live with her dad full time around like age 13. And then she got put in this home for troubled youth that was also like a convent yeah. of some kind which which makes me wonder like why was she in that if her father was you know the guardian the parental guardian and the father was and she even said that Sinead had a good relationship with her father well i wonder why she went in that um i he yeah i don't know why her dad couldn't take care of her and and her stepmom at the time but apparently she had troubles at school, like skipping class, behavioral issues, which yeah. makes sense when you hear the intensity of her early music. She just seemed to have a lot of pent-up energy and, and rage from what she went through. So sent to this home. I, I don't know what else you call it, but I think there were nuns around. <laughs> but that's kind of how she discovered music. She was encouraged by a music teacher at this convent-type thing to sing and the the music teacher and this is in the documentary nothing compares and it's a really touching story she heard Sinead singing some I think it was like a Barbara Streisand song or something and she was blown away and she's like this girl is incredibly talented so she took her under her wing and made sure she had a guitar or was able to write songs at the school even though it was against the rules she like broke the rules for good, Sinead good good uh the reason I was saying wow about her mom's death is because out of all the songs that Sinead covered, a lot of people say that the best song she covered might be Prince, Nothing Compares to You or Nirvana, All Apologies. My opinion, my opinion, my favorite out of all the ones is Mind Games. I think it's better than John Lennon's original. I don't even know that John Lennon song. What, what Mind she, Games. It's on the second it, album. I never really listened to John Lennon's solo stuff. So the reason I said wow is because... I mean, obviously, you're a Beatles fan, you're a Beatles fan, and I can tell that Sinead might be a Beatles fan. Like, if you like Bob Dylan, eh, it's easy to say that you might like the Beatles. Don't, don't, want, to, don't want to assume, but, you know. Um, so, there's, she covered Mind Games. Do you know what happened to John's mom? Oh, John, well, she died, too. When, when he was 17, and she died by just crossing the road, and some drunk driver hit her. 
So oh, I felt okay. like maybe Sinead had like a connection with John on that. I could see that. Yeah. Wait, how did a uh, dear friend Paul's mom die? Because I know she also died. Paul when he died was a when kid. she was young, like five. He was five years old or so. Do you know how? Uh, I don't know. I think it was some uh, natural health, like health complications. You know, okay, now I'm kind of getting drunk, but I just want to say to everyone out here, um, I know we got to give love and support to single mothers out there, but let's let's give love and support to single fathers out there because it just hit me that Paul McCartney's father was a single father and he had to take care of the whole family. And let's give props to Paul McCartney's father and all the single fathers out there. And you, know, you can even now. Can you make the argument, Sinead O'Connor? No, Sinead O'Connor's dad. But like, Sinead O'Connor's dad had a had a other partner to help. So never mind. Yeah, I I don't know enough about what her early childhood was like to to make any statements about that. I just know at some point she lived with her mom. The whole song Troy is about the conflict between her and her mom not letting her in the house when and like the lyric. You should have left the light on is about how her mom would just like lock her in the garden and turn off the lights inside, like ignore her daughter basically. It's it's really horrifying. Oh, it's horrible, man. And Sinead had multiple other siblings and I don't I think one of them became a novelist, but the others, I don't know really the impact they had in her upbringing. They they're never really mentioned in the biographies I, I will say this like around the mid 90s uh the newspaper the irish times was making like a little bio of Sinead o'connor and the irish times said the Sinead o'connor's parents were horrible mm-hmm. um so Sinead o'connor's brother sent an email uh, sent a letter to the irish times saying hey you know granted we have issues in our family and it's a lot how dare you say that our parents were bad? However, I will admit our mother was horrible. So basically, it was defending it was defending the father, like, "Hey, our dad did as best as he could." And then yeah. Sinead O'Connor's response to that was, "You know, every family member, every family has their own issues and those complications, and we need to do our best to heal." But I'm happy to hear. I'm paraphrasing, but I'm happy to hear that that there are some kind of support and that we do agree that our mother was bad. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I shouldn't laugh at that, but like you know, you know it's bad when everybody agrees it's bad. Yeah, that's yeah. A, a big tell there. But you gotta also take into the fact that her gift, her voice, her musicality is partly genetic, and her mom may have had that brilliance inside her that just never found an outlet, and it was able to find a way to release it in Sinead, but like it came from something. It's funny you say that because uh, Sinead O'Connor also said that she, like I'm paraphrasing again, but like she said like if it wasn't, if she wasn't traumatized, she would have been a better singer. She still felt like the trauma and all the stuff that happened to her limited herself. Really? Yeah. It's interesting like, to hear it's that talk about like It's talk about like uh, being insecure and like not being confident. She still felt okay. not confident as a singer. Yeah, I, I can see that, but you also have to realize it's her biggest hits and like songs that express that angst and that rage. They, they wouldn't exist either, and she, she maybe she wouldn't have ever shaved her head and been such a iconoclast, like yeah. going against the norm if she hadn't had that trauma. So, 
yeah, you can't you can't have one without the other. I feel like she needed to have that to to become who she was meant to be. I I agree with you there. Um, just want to wrap up the biography, and then we can talk about the actual albums. She she got her start in music. Like she did a song with a random Irish band that was, they needed a singer for mm. for something, and it was a. <laughs> I forget the name of the band. It was some weird like Gaelic, Gaelic term, name, right? Like yeah. Into a something, and I think it was the the band leader of that was the brother or somehow related to one of the people who worked at the convent she was staying at. So there was like this immediate connection just from where she was living as a teen she was only 15 or 16 and they she did vocals on one of their songs and she really it was it's a great song it's on youtube it's called like in your arms i think it sounds really cool it's like early to mid 80s goth new wave and it sounds a lot like her later music because she's singing but she wasn't able to join the band because she was too young they thought so it was just this one-off single and but you know, it sets the gears in motion and she starts making her own demos and eventually like gets a producer of some kind to help her make her first like first album and, and musicians playing on it are like people she starts to make connections with because of that first single. So we're probably at the time we can start talking about the lion and the cobra her yeah first album um, and then we can talk about her biography as the discography of her chronologically goes by right because i yeah. definitely want to talk about her relationship with prince which will be on the second album so yeah let, let's cover the rest of her now we finished her early life we can yeah. talk about the rest of her uh, biography as so, the lion the and the album. cobra what did you think i think it might be her best album that's your favorite album I'm not going to say my favorite. <laughs> I don't uh, like that term. Okay. It's a great album. It's a great I agree. It's very good. It's funny you you, you and I are do, do our best for the audience here. We do our best not to talk about it so that way this conversation is very organic and very spontaneous. But as we were talking before the album, before this episode, we were talking about Sinead and we were like, oh, this is going to be a problem because we're going to like, we like her music and there's no conflict going on here. Because I like this album too. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's brilliant. Just one interesting thing I want to note is that I think this is the second time she tried to make a first album. The documentary talks about this briefly. Like she made a first batch of songs and was really unhappy with the results. So she didn't want to put it out. And this was basically what we hear as her first album was like the second attempt to make a, a debut album. And I don't, I don't know what the first one really sounded like, but you can tell it was it's like that old cliche, like you have your whole life to make your first album and like a year to make your second. Like you can feel a whole lifetime of experience and, and rage and emotion went into this album and she wanted to get it perfect. So she wasn't satisfied with the first attempt. They went back into the studio while she was pregnant with her first child at age 20. Really? Yeah, she's, th- she's in late pregnancy as oh, this man. album was recorded. I thought she was pregnant like, or she started to be a mother like around... The late 95, 96? No, she wow. was. She gave birth really young to her first child. Um, before, this is, shows my ignorance, but before knowing about Sinead O'Connor that much, I literally thought she was bisexual or a lesbian. 
you know, just gives that vibe. And I guess I was wrong. I am, and I am wrong because she talks a lot about love and, but like, talks about love about the heterosexual kind, you know, loving the opposite sex. Like songs like John I Love You, which is on Universal Mother, which we'll talk about later. But even in this album, you do feel like a lot of like uh, complexity about what a relationship, a love relationship is with a man. And I was kind of blown away by that. I I didn't get as much like explicit references to gender in any of her mu- music. I feel like it, a lot of it's pretty universal. Uh, okay, so sorry, sorry if I'm going to uh, going back and forth in this, but you were worried about this episode because you felt she was Jewish supporter and all that stuff and i was trying to let you know like she might have some jewish references in her music but i don't think she is like or she might like jewish people but she's not like pro-israel or something you felt like this could have been a a very sensitive topic about that and like i wanted to ask you from the line in the corporate where did you get those you know vibes of it there's a song called jerusalem yeah i don't really remember the explicit lyrics but i was more basing that comment on um god i don't know what to say about this i'm not bashing on her for supporting israel in the early 90s and i mean she was someone who had uh, a lot of very strong political beliefs and was had no filter it seemed for stating them it's funny you say that because i don't think she supports israel Okay, yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, she I'm might not... like the Jewish culture, might like the Jewish religion, but I don't think she was supporting Israel alone. And But then again, that's the beauty of her, because you can tell that she goes on a adventure-sized journey on her religion, because later on, as she gets older, she turns to be Muslim. And maybe she even died Muslim, too. I feel like she went back to Christianity at some point. She, she went Catholic in the mid-2000s. She wanted to be a priest and everything. Too. Yeah, I, I remember yeah. seeing that article. So, yeah. which is another like that's straight out of the out of the Bob Dylan playbook. Like, be in every religion at some point in your life. What well, Bob Dylan that? was like? What had like a Jewish background, yeah, then became Christian, Christian, yeah. and then I think went back to Judaism at some point. I f- I don't know about Islam or being Muslim. I feel like. I, I guess Bob never really did that, but he 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 seemed did to he, like take on different religions as like phases. Of I, his I mean, life. I know Sinead has like a lot of like Hinduism and Buddhism vibes here and there, but did Bob Dylan didn't have that? He I like I like I, I like Buddha. He's a cool guy. I'm sure uh, he does <laughs> like Buddha. Hey. Like the teachings of Buddha are incredibly profound and and poetic in a way i'm sure he appreciates can them. you imagine like bob dylan talking to the traveling wilburys and trying to convert them into buddhism like hey i know you like jesus but have you tried meditating man wasn't like, george harrison in the wilburys and george is like defending him too he's like yeah you should try it and roy orbison's like i don't know about that <laughs> let's just let's just write some rock and roll songs 
Yeah, I've never delved deep into what the the dynamic of the traveling traveling Wilburys was, but you know, George's biggest like Eastern philosophy religion guy around, probably more so than Bob Dylan. So I don't think that would be a hard sell. Uh, this is a controversial topic, but if my friend and I were uh, we're tack- tackling uh, the post Beatles discography. And we're not happy with George Harrison. We're disappointed with George's discography. He's, he's not he's not good. He's not good. I have always felt that way, too. He has, like, genius songs in the Beatles catalog, but they're kind of all the only good George songs I've heard. Yeah, it's just like, George, what happens? And, like, his... His voice also changed. Like, he decides to do, like, this, like, male rendition of Joan Baez. (laughs) (laughs) Like, a kind of weird vibrato, but it's not vibrato. But you know that it's George. Wow. Yeah, uh, my mom had a vinyl of All Things Must Pass or something. It's a good album. It's a good album. I tried listening to it, but... it. It's like, it's not not really grabbing me. The problem I have with that album is like, they can't make up their mind of what they want to do productive-wise. Like there's certain songs where they have this whole music, like whole sound, like reverb everywhere. Like you hear like in a concert and there's other songs where like it's in a studio and everything's closed. Mm. And it doesn't flow that well. I kind of like that idea, though, to have like live sounding songs next to really intimate, close mic songs. Production is just another tool for making music, so that just shows variety. I think think that producer was Phil Spector, but like I just felt like they couldn't make up their minds of what they were doing. Uh, Phil Spector. I know, I know. (laughs) Um, While we're on this kind of random tangent, I'm gonna take a quick bathroom break. Wow, we're back on the uh, origins of the Oddcast podcast. Man, I need to urinate as well. Like the way that we're drinking and, and hydrating, I, 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 I might be on the next level of uh, this stuff. It's weird, though, because I don't know what to say when it comes to this stuff, but yet... Julian Greendell, I'm kind of, I should be used to talking to myself and knowing what to talk about, but I don't know. This is very odd. But um, I guess this is a good time for me to thank all of you viewers to like this and to enjoy it, to subscribe. We uh, we support you. Uh, we, we we feel this, we, we appreciate the support you're giving us, and we love that. Um, so lots of love, lots of thank you for this. You got you all are great, and obviously, let people know. You know, let people know about us, and you know, recommend it to people because we do like to feel the love, to see the love, and to show any kind of appreciation with it. Uh, as you can tell, we do talk about many kinds of stuff, and it is a bit spontaneous because we don't even know what the next topic is. The next topic is going to be whatever Dylan decides. And we can talk about whatever. Um, I mean, mostly we majority of the time we talk about music, but you know, we do talk about movies. Well, we did one episode about movies, and recently we've been doing art. So this is pretty cool. So, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I still don't. Need, I don't. I don't have the urge to urinate. <laughs>
But it might happen. Oh, I thought you just 20, said you did. Um, with the way I'm drinking, I should. But oh. I, I haven't. All right. Uh, so we get, should we get back to Lion and the Cobra? Yeah. So tell me more about the Lion and the Cobra. Like you, I like about Lion and the Cobra is like the rage in that album. Like you, the, the the rawness. Yeah. It sounds like a 20-year-old expressing <laughs> all the, the takes on contemporary rock music that they they've been surrounded by it's a it's a very uh, pop friendly record i think there's a lot of like strong grooves and i was struck by in her all her discography how comfortable she was with using very modern sounding production like there's a lot of like electronic drums in her yeah. songs i think that was her way of like giving like uh, compliments to the hip-hop culture like she's enjoying that and doing that yeah, she was a big hip hop fan and and reggae, of course. But like, she had that Public Enemy logo yeah. on the side of her head for when the she Grammys. did Grammys. Um, I uh, again, I may be jumping a little bit too much, but like, Sinead O'Connor is one of the people that we as in society need to apologize for her. Like, she has done, she has protested so many things that at the time we we shunned her for it and said shame on her. But in the end, as time went by, she was right. Grammys. You sound like Morrissey right now. Grant, well, how am I sounding like Morrissey? He he put out a big like tirade on his website after Sinead died saying exactly what you're saying. I mean, so did Questlove. About Sinead? Yeah. Because Questlove was also promoting that like, hey, Sinead O'Connor was one of the few people who supported hip hop culture with the Grammys and all that stuff. And we should love and support her and all that stuff. But I don't know. I, I appreciate Questlove's words more than Morrissey. I don't know. Morrissey just turns me off. Well, yeah, I feel like Morrissey was being a little self-serving with that because I think he feels like he's in the position of Sinead O'Connor and that he's still alive, so people aren't really giving him the respect he feels he's owed because his whole tirade was online was about like, you guys didn't weren't like showing up with support for Sinead O'Connor when she was alive, but now that she just died, everyone's putting their tributes out and saying how she's one of the greatest artists of all time and like giving her all this love and respect yeah. that no one kind of cared about her when she was alive, which is actually really true. It's true. It's true. This it, is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode because I want people to know Sinead is something you should look into. Don't don't sleep on Sinead. And one yeah. of the problems we have in American culture is everybody just know, know, knows her by nothing compares to you when there's more to her than just that. Which is such a shame, but I'll save my thoughts on Nothing yeah. Compares till the next album. I want to talk about her first like big U.S. single, Mandink, Mandinka, or Mandinka is how she pronounces it in the chorus. It's such a weird song. It's very catchy, very poppy in that like 80s new wave rock style. Yeah. But the chorus, <laughs> do you know what Mandinka is from? Yeah. Is it is it African? It's African, yeah. It's... It's a term for like an African genre of music or like a style of music. And apparently she got it from watching the TV adaptation of Roots. And there's a character, King Kunta. Yeah. Which, which I think Kendrick Lamar has written Kunt, about. Yeah, yeah. Or like uh, Kunta Kente. Kunta Kente. And uh, To Pimp a Butterfly. Yeah. And I hear a lot of hip hop artists reference Kunta Kinte. Isn't it music. funny how we're doing this episode and we still like find the connections to all the other past episodes? Bob Dylan, Smashing Pumpkins, now Kendrick Lamar. 
It's pretty it's funny. It's almost like uh, we've talked about important artists. Yeah. We wow. chose the artists fairly wisely, I think, even though it might seem random to it's you It's pretty random, but we it's just it's just let the universe speak for itself. Right. But so anyways, that's man, I think that's how she became familiar with the idea or term Mandinka. <laughs> And make, made the chorus of her first pop hit. And I think that's like showing solidarity with black culture, with like, I think that's, I think that's mainly what it is. But I, I doubt that that reference made sense to a lot of people who At heard it. At the time, it. yeah. I mean, you can also see that on Black Boys on Mopeds, too. Of course, yeah. And that's a more explicit thing that rather than this obscure African word that no one really uses. <laughs> one one thing that I've been reading that a lot of film I mean music critics were saying is that this album was ahead of its time that probably arguably was like indie before indie because it had so many things that progressed to influence indie music. And I, I see that. I see that. Who where where did you hear this quote? <laughs> um it was a, some um some writer from the Rolling Stones said that. Indie. Yeah. I feel like indie's like become a very useless term. It nowadays. is, but like back in the day, maybe um indie the word indie started like in the two thousands. So yeah. Yeah, it's like a certain type of like two thousands. But on the Blind Boy podcast, uh, the the guy from Blind Boy was saying like this album was so ahead of its time that like film, why am I saying film critics, music critics were saying that they had to like start a different category and call it postmodern pop or postmodern rock because they had so many things behind it. Yeah, you've got like string arrangements on some songs. You've got like gated reverb on the drums and, and like and punk influence too yeah like one band that she was very inspired by was uh sushi and the banshees obviously bob dylan and then also sushi and the banshees so like you can just hear all of that inspiration and in is one. it pronounced sushi I, I don't know how to say it but i'm saying su- is it well how do you say it? sushi sushi i always I'm, i how always thought it was it? Susie. it's not Susie. it's not it's not Susie. it's like sushi like the food I mean, I'm saying it wrong, but it's a, it has a sh sound and a s sound. Sushi? Sushi and the Banshees. It's simply Suzy. Suzy Sue. Sushi, sushi, sushi. But like, it comes from yeah. like the Native American tribe, right? Sue, the Sioux tribe. But, but, but it's, there's an X in it and you don't pronounce the X. Like yeah, s- the Sioux, the tribe has an X at the end. Yeah. And it's just pronounced the Sioux Su- tribe. Susie, is Susie and the Banshees on? That's how I've always pronounced Fuck. it, but I don't I'm, know if I've I'm, ever I'm, read I'm, it. I'm, I might be, I might be saying it wrong again. English is my second language. Damn, I'm very tipsy. This isn't uh, even English, but you know, uh, Susie, 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 Susie. It might be Susie. Sue, see, like there's a little bit of a sound. Susie, that could be that. Yeah, we'll have to look this up later. <laughs> Susie, Sue. One of my favorite songs on the album, which I was contemplating being one to cover, but it's way too difficult, is Just Like You Said It Would Be. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that song knocked me out when I was just listening to the album from start to finish. Halfway through, you get to this song, and it was like, holy shit. I've never heard anything like that chorus where she suddenly goes up in her range, and it's like such an unexpected 
note to start your chorus melody on. It's like a fifth above the root note. It's just so intense and so, so well done. And it's got like these really interesting string arrangements in the background that feel like a, a mix between synth strings on a, on a keyboard and real string players. Everything sounds kind of artificial on these albums, which is part of the production of the time. And it's, it dates yeah, which, it. which is pretty, which is one of the reasons I don't like it. But like, I just try to do my best to look over it. Yeah, you gotta ask yourself what what were people on in the eighties that made them think this is the sound. You can probably hear that in today's music in a in a couple decades. It's gonna sound dated because of all but the production. For some reason, tricks. the eighties was just very like impactful in that, like, compactful with that synthesizer vibe. We just. I guess to a, yeah. to an extent, some people like it, some people don't. But like, you take it as a grain of salt to what kind of music it is. Like, I still listen to the music from the seventies, and it still sounds refreshing. Yeah, because it's all it's all organic. It's mm-hmm. real instruments recorded in a usually a very dry, like honest way. Yeah, not a lot of studio trickery and reverb and stuff to to change the sound. So that's timeless. It sounds like real people playing. Exactly. But 80s is like... But there's something about these albums that still make it timeless, even though it has that 80s production that it is not good. Yeah, I would agree that it's it's timeless still. Just maybe not timeless in that you can't tell when it was made, but yeah. the songs are strong enough to stand. Like Black Boys on Mopeds, pretty good. That's her second album. Yeah, I know. Let's talk Should about we move on? Album. Yeah. Uh, I do not want what I have not got, I think is the title. Damn, you've got a oh, good mind. Actually, before we move on, the first album, there's a little, it's reminded me of the Strokes podcast because the same thing happened with album covers, UK versus, or like world ver- yeah, edition, versus is her them. screaming. Yeah. And the US market, who, the record label execs, whatever said it would be too aggressive and turn off US consumers so they made her do this like really demure oh, like, I see quiet it. look so pathetic it's that, very weird it's just like the strokes <laughs> is this it but like, i guess they're taking advantage of like the look of a vulnerability vibe you know like would people like a vulnerable woman that's in america that would turn me off i want to hear i want to see what what is really expressed in the album which she thought was the the angry parts and it's more distinctive i guess this very very beautiful young woman with a shaved head is um a striking image on its own but she just looks so quiet and contemplative and and kind of shy on the u.s album cover instead of intense and and full of rage the song Troy, by the way, I think it's about her mother mainly, but super intense song. I think it's worth noting from her first album. But we can talk about the second one now. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to look into this right now because one of the things, that we're, since we're talking about album covers, is um, the second album cover, um, what's it called again? Uh I do not want what I have not got, I believe. Yeah, uh, I think there is, her eye Her eye color is blue. And I don't think she's got blue eyes. 
So what's up with that? Are you sure? I could see her having blue eyes, being but, Irish and all. But she also had like a bit of a brown hint to it, maybe greenish brown, but like I didn't see it being blue all the time. So, so you think it, they uh, artificially changed her eye color? Maybe, but also you can see in the album cover like they 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 accented a lot on the eyes. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what's up with that? <laughs> it does the album cover on their second album looks like a film noir still. Yeah. It gives me David Lynch blue velvet vibes. I still need to see oh, I seen blue velvet. I need to see his other movies, uh, Mulholland Drive and the other one. What's it called? One run, run around. Lost Mul- Highway. Yeah, Lost Highway. I still need to see those two. Mulholland Drive is fantastic, and so is Blue Velvet. I couldn't really get into Lost Highway when I watched it. Yeah, Blue Velvet's not bad. It's, I think it's great. I think it's a good movie. Um, but the second album, this is when she did her Prince cover, and I, and I this is what I was alluding to earlier. I think it's a bit of a shame that she's best known for a cover, which I meant to go back and listen to Prince's version, and I haven't. I've heard um, it a long time ago. There's many versions of Prince covering this song. He didn't cover it. He wrote. I it. mean, the, the Prince doing the the song. Like I, I there's one that, there's one that's not bad. Is from the 1999. Um, uh, Raven to the Joy Fantastic on pay per view, which you can get it on DVD now, where he covers these, you know, where he plays all this Was stuff. Was it ever a studio version? Um, there's some like demo versions of it, but he never fully. He never put it out on an album. Never put it out on an album. That's so weird. How did Sinead even find out about it and get I to think, cover it? Well, the thing around that time, Prince uh, was kind of like a songwriter. Like he gave out all the songs, like Blue Monday, not Blue Monday, uh, the Blue Song by. What the fuck is the name of that song? Like Walk Like an Egyptian? What's the name of that band? Walk Like an Egyptian. Uh, just another mid Monday. Oh yeah. That's that's a Prince song. Like he he really? wrote he wrote all these songs to give out to 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 artists. Kiss was originally was going to be given to someone else, and then the artist who was going to cover it did his own twist to it. And when Prince heard it, it was like I'm taking it back. Because he liked what he did, and he t- and he kind of copied him. So, wow. I want to talk about this about Prince because I love Prince. I I'm a huge Prince fan, but I do not like how he treated Sinead on on this. And I will say Sinead's cover of the song is better than Prince. Sinead did something with it, like the arrangement, everything, the delivery of it did something that Prince could not do. And Prince can is a great, fantastic musician, but Sinead delivered in some in some way that prince cannot touch it whatsoever do you know that the history of her getting the rights to the song no she obviously had to ask for permission and he granted it i i yeah something maybe the record label gave it to her or she did or maybe prince didn't even feel comfortable with it too that's there's also that i don't think prince would allow it if he wasn't comfortable but I do know that in recent years, since they're both dead, the movie documentary, they didn't get the rights to use even Sinead's own version of Nothing Compares to You for wow. the documentary. Wow. Prince's estate blocked it. Um, and I, I've heard articles that specifically mentioned Prince's sister as being someone who was 
didn't doesn't like Sinead and didn't want the documentary to use the song. It's very petty, man. Because like you told me a little bit about this, like Prince is a petty person, and maybe Prince's sister's turning out to be that way too. When someone does a better version of your own thing, he got a little bit angry. He, he I, you yeah. told me that he was not happy that Sinead's cover or Sinead's version of the song was better than his. How is her? You know, his song made her big, and he didn't like that. Yeah, it kind of was the song that made her an international star, which she. I don't like that because she had the ability to write incredible songs of her own, but the song that made her breakthrough was written by someone else, and it kind of taints her legacy a little bit. Yeah, but it also shows the beauty of her musicianship because. If you listen to Prince's original stuff, the arrangement of Nothing Compares to You is beautiful. Um, you know the part on uh, on Nothing Compares, the part that goes, ah, mm-hmm. that's not on Prince's. For some reason, that kind of gives it a better vibe. Yeah. And also when the drum hits, it doesn't hit like after the chorus or anything. It's like it hits like... like the beginning of the third verse or something or the second verse or somewhere in the middle for some reason the way the drum hits i feel it and when you hear it live it just it hits better <laughs> in Sinead's version Sinead's version yeah those princes have drums from the start or something no it's like it's like uh how does the song go it's like it's been seven hours and 13 days ever since you gave my love away and then Boom, drum sits right there. Yeah, Sinead has yeah. a lot of just like, no drums in the first just, couple. Just, just feel the ambience, feel the atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. She knows how to read a room, unlike me. Well, you said that I do, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's reading a room, yeah. but knowing how to how to build up a song, start really quiet and build up. I... I've been listening to Sinead's first two albums for a while, actually. Like, I was pretty into them in my early 20s. And I kind of forgot all about this when you suggested her as the topic. And I went back and listened. And I forgot how much I'd actually listened to these two records a lot. Especially her second one. The one with nothing compares to you on it. I would would listen to, like, on repeat. Yeah. And I'd never loved her version of nothing compares to you. I liked Black Boys on Mopeds. I liked... Other so we, songs. Well, I like I think three babies. Three babies is about abortion, right? That's what I. That's it's actually what I, about miscarriages. She uh, had. She had like two miscarriages before she had her her first child. I, I like a lot of this album, but nothing compares to you. Would feel like kind of dragging and like it's so slow and so long that I would. I. It's a fantastic song, and I appreciate it more now. I think than I did back then, but I. I had forgotten how much I had actually heard this particular album of hers. A lot of her ones after this I'd never heard before, but this one I was pretty familiar with. Uh, on YouTube, uh, Vivo, there's a live rendition of this song. Mm. Delicious. Very delicious. She does, she does like, she sings in a different way, even though she sings it perfectly. She's like, I don't know where she hits these high notes at the end of a stanza. We're like, it's just, she delivers it, delivers it very beautifully. 
Is it's it live from too. like the early nineties? Yes, ninety. Era? Yeah, ninety. And she's playing piano. Wow. And it shows you how great of a musician she is. She can play a lot of instruments. Like in the 2014 video, she's playing guitar. She plays uh, Bike Boys on Mopeds on guitar too. So. I've seen that performance, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but um, on the on the, I don't know if any official release, but on the bonus disc, she also has a cover of, of uh, Mind Games, which... Oh, so that's not on the album. I guess not. I just looked. I looked at <laughs> Wikipedia, and it's I was not like, there. I don't remember a song called "Mind Games" on any album. But I, my opinion, that's my favorite. My favorite cover from Sinead, and I know she covered a lot of songs like "War" by Bob Marley and all that stuff. Yeah. So, I I wanted to bring that up on this podcast about how the difference between someone who interprets other songs and is like a vocalist who can do any song, whether it's theirs or someone else's and, and make you feel it in a new way or versus a songwriter who really only can sing their own stuff. And Sinead's somewhere in between where she writes amazing songs, but some of her biggest hits are written by other people. Yeah. And she, she doesn't seem to have like, they're, they're just as important in her catalog as stuff she wrote. No, you're right she, about she that. She makes them her own. But this is the album that got her big. Like, internationally speaking, got her big in America yeah. and all that stuff. Thanks to Prince, I guess. That was yeah. a big part of it. A big, big portion of it. Um, you know, and then the controversy happened with uh, SNL and all that stuff. And then the... Well, that was not till her third album and tour. The, 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 the big Pope. band? Big band one? Am yeah. I not your she girl? Was, she was touring for I Am Not Your Girl. So, okay, the okay. press cycle for uh, I Do Not Want What I Have Not Got, her second album, is going on. She has that incident in a stadium show in the States where she refused to let them play the national anthem at the start of her show, and it made headlines. It was, I think, as simple as the venue was like, so we always play the national anthem at the start of shows, and she found out about that and she said i don't want i don't want you to play the anthem the us is in the invading iraq and it's the first gulf war and she and it's really also very racist too she was saying that too which is true it's a very racist song and the it's the song not, itself is racist yeah there's a there's a there's a there's a um verse where it's talking about pro slavery maybe not but, in it but maybe not in it right now but like in the first rough drafts it was about that Okay. Francis Scott Key was a racist. I don't doubt that. Which, which they discovered about it more when, uh, when the whole situation with George Floyd happened. So again, Sinead was right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, she was right, but she got crucified for it because yeah. once the word came out that she she like refused to play if they played the national yeah. anthem, everyone in the U.S. who is like a patriotic America, <laughs> like diehard American was like, who is this bald Irish girl coming into our country and refusing to let us play the national anthem? At her gig, you'd think she would have a little bit of a say over what happens at her show, but people just hear the headlines like she rejects the national anthem and people just go crazy. And yeah. so she got a ton of flack for that. This is even before the SNL thing. So, But that was her first big like encounter with controversy. Yeah. And I've total respect and understanding for for that like i i wouldn't really 
want them to play the national anthem at a show I'm playing either. I, my music's her. If I was her, like her music's not about the U.S. patriotism, and she had clear objections to U.S. foreign policy and war at the time. So like she wouldn't want them to play that and somehow associate her with the U.S. But anyway, I'm Not Your Girl. We already talked a bit about it. I don't think we need to rehash the it's whole It's a great jazz. album. I think it's a great album. Just You were saying it's bad. No, I <laughs> like didn't You don't say like that. the production of the horns and everything. Am I Not Your Girl? There's horns in Am I Not Your Girl? That's oh, the jazz one. Oh, the jazz one. Oh, no, I'm talking about the second one. The second one. Yeah, it's a great second album. One's second one's a great album, for sure. Third one, I, I think it's okay. I, I, I mean, it's not my cup of tea. I don't think... I mean, I, I do think it's bad, but I wouldn't say it's a bad record. Like, if you like that kind of stuff... It's your thing, but I, it's I just... It's a cover album. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something. It's something people, artists usually do late in their career, mm-hmm. like Bob Dylan doing his jazz standards album. It's like a when you're in your 60s thing. Yeah. And it's weird that she came out with that as her third album. <laughs> I, I think maybe she was trying to say, like, I do more than just punk or, you know, punk inspiration and funk inspiration. I can sing whatever. And, like, you you can hear that she can sing jazz stuff. Of course. Like, you know, yeah. all that. And, and it's nice to hear that, you know? But, I mean, it's just a weird transition from hearing the line in the Cobra and now this. It's just like, okay, this is odd. Yeah. I, it's hard to know what she was really thinking. I feel like the experience with the U.S. press and the, the stadium thing might have influenced her decision to do something totally different. Like, if this is the reaction I get from being myself and expressing my political beliefs, I'm just going to go against the grain and put out this album of jazz standards or big band music. I think she genuinely had a love and like influence from that music in no, her life. Does. Well, you did say that she likes Barbara Streisand or she, she covered Barbara Streisand before. I think it was Barbara yeah, I think Streisand. You, I think you're right. I do remember hearing that. But uh, this is the tour she's on when she's in the States again and she goes on SNL and in protest of the Catholic Church and its like sexual abuse scandals, she tore up a picture of Pope John Paul II, was it? Correcto. And yeah, then all hell breaks loose and all the Catholics of the world and hated her. Especially hated the her. Italians, you know. Frank Sinatra already hated her because of the of the national anthem. Now Joe Pesci. A lot of people just didn't appreciate her, but this is the thing. She was right. She was right. Like, did you watch Spotlight, the movie? I did. Like, this whole thing about Spotlight, where it happened, it was, like, around 9-11. Like, you know, hearing about all these, like, pedophilia, child abuse, child molestation happened, and they were... Really? Yeah. That was in 2001? Yeah, well, they when they were trying to release the, 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 the... The document, the doc, trying to release the evidence in, in the newspaper happened around 2001, but then they had to like postpone it because 9/11 happened. But they were wow. going to they were going to release it in September of 2001. So, but yeah. they they said let's stop it because if we put it now, not that many people are going to talk about it because 9/11 is a big issue, and all the people who are victims of child abuse of of, of the Catholic child abuse were even more angry. It's like how long, much longer do we have to suffer from this? But this is uh, from from that document from that movie. This is the the the, the statistic they said, which is kind of crazy. If it's true, it's true. If it's not, I'm sorry if I'm spreading false information. 
they said about 10% of each of each big city in the US about 10% of 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 Catholics were were suffering through child molestation or child abuse wow but in 92 or 93 that wasn't common knowledge and wasn't really but, talked about yeah. in mass media so she was really ahead of her time and uh, really suffered for it for being the first one to to make any sort of statement about it. Yeah, pretty incredible. And um, I'm, I may be jumping on to this, but afterwards, a couple of weeks or months later, she uh, was going to do a performance to support her favorite fa- um, her favorite musician Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. and she was going to play a song with Bob Dylan. I forget the name of the song, but they booed her. I, f- I forget the name. It was it was a very good song. It's like, I, yeah. I it's not a, which one it's, it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a b-side it's a it's a it's a deep cut not 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 like like a rolling stone or anything like that right but uh they booed her they booed her and this is the part where i wanted to talk to you about this sorry for i don't know we're just talking about this weird stuff but you know, she got booed away from it and uh, there's a lot of emotions happening this to her guilt shame not shame but like rejection that's the biggest feeling she's getting rejection she walks off stage and i'm listening to this on the rolling stones podcast when they're just giving you like a r.i.p Sinead o'connor uh the 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 critic of the rolling stones saw this as this was happening as she was walking away chris christopherson gave her a hug yeah. And basically showing support and love. It was like, you got this. Like showing what she needed at the time. If Chris Christopherson wasn't there, I'm pretty sure she would have just walked away and not do anything, just walk away. But because of Chris Christopherson, in my opinion, this is my opinion, it gave her the courage to go back and sing that song and basically give a middle finger to all the people who booed her. Her Bob Marley cover. Yeah, the, the war. war song, right? And this is my tangent here, so sorry, folks. But, like, I know men are trash. But, like, moments like this, like Chris Christopherson, we got to give got to give Chris Christopherson credit. Like, not men all are, not all men are trash. Like, moments like this is nice to hear, like, showing support and love to a woman. And, it, and, and I'm, I'm also saying this to men. Be like Chris Christopherson. When a woman is doing something very very brave like her support her that's all i gotta say chris christopherson we need to we need to give him appreciation for what he did and also i've heard his discography or his music is pretty good i have i have heard some songs here and there but like if you like bob dylan you'll like chris christopherson Except he's so, nowhere near the songwriter. I mean, he can sing and play guitar. I've heard him do some songs, but he's not like... He's an actor. He's not really a musician. No, he was originally a musician. And okay, then he started well, doing he's acting. he's far more famous for acting, I guess. Yeah, but, but, but let's, that, let's about give... That performance, let's, like... That was the first time I had ever heard of Sinead O'Connor. My parents had a bootleg, really? like VHS, of Bob Dylan's 30th anniversary concert, yeah. and we used to play it at my house like all the time that when I was sense. growing up. I forgot up. you're a Bob Dylan. You were raised by Bob Dylan. I forgot about that. But that Sinead O'Connor bit, I was like such a weird thing to witness as a kid, like seeing this woman 
with a shaved head and a like blue blazer yeah. come up and get booed by a stadium full of people and I didn't know why I didn't understand what she had done or and there were like cheers mixed with the boos she clearly had some fans still but then she just takes out her earpiece and doesn't do the song she had rehearsed but does the Bob Marley war acapella just like shout, shouting it into the mic it's such an intense motion uh, you can feel the emotion like coming through that performance and Chris Christopherson I don't know much about his personal life. I don't want to say he's like the ideal man who ever lived. I'm not saying he's the ideal man, but what he did at that moment. Yeah, it was incredibly brave. Because to come out and basically openly support Sinead O'Connor, he calls her like an incredibly brave person. And basically supporting her for what she had done a a week, couple weeks before on SNL. Yeah. And despite what. No one boos him for saying that. <laughs> but, which is, which uh, is another shade on society. Like, you're shitting on Sinead, but like what Chris Christopherson did to support Sinead, you're not saying anything about that to him? Yeah, that's not a cool, difference cool. between being the one visibly doing the act that's transgressive versus supporting someone for doing that thing. It, it's They're different things. I'm sure he got a few Catholics in the audience upset at him and they're like, I hate Chris Christopherson now because he supports Sinead O'Connor. Yeah, really interesting time in music history. My favorite performance in the Bob Dylan thing was actually Eddie Vedder singing Masters of War. (laughs) It's actually a really good performance that I don't think you can find on YouTube at all, which is such a shame because it's an incredible performance of a young Eddie Vedder singing... Bob Dylan song. I, I like Lou Reed's version. I forget which song he did, but I I like Lou Reed's. He he covered a Bob Dylan song and it was pretty cool. He did it in his Lou Reed way, but more at like that same concert. At that concert, yeah. Oh, I must have seen that, but I probably yeah. didn't know who Lou Reed was at the time. And he I does was it like more above it, undergroundish, like more like heavy and just progresses and progresses to something intense. It was pretty cool. I'll have to try to find that. That was a, a great concert. Uh, Really, really cool. I think Tom Petty was really good that night too. He, and you know who's the band leader? G. E. Smith. Do you know who that is? From from Saturday Night Live. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I saw G. E. Smith live. Really? Yeah. Do you know who who he's playing with? No. Oh. He was the guitarist for Roger Waters when I saw him perform at the Wall, and I was like, "Is that G. E. Smith? That's crazy." Whoa. <laughs> yeah. That is weird. Well. Um, this is the part of her discography where things get a little spotty for me because they're albums I less I'm less familiar with. Are you serious? Because the next album is Universal Mother, and I think it's her best album. I th- this is my favorite album. It's great. Wow, great album. Has like a lot of people say that her best cover, other than Nothing Compares to You, is Nirvana All Apologies. It's a very great cover. Very great cover. I, I think the original's better. I know you got to listen to it again, man. I heard it's funny it. because Nirvana is like as a, as a teenager, they were my favorite band. But now, as an adult, all apologies by by covered by Sinead is, does a better job. I didn't like the parts of the vocal melody she left out. She she was very minimal with yeah. the arrangement, and she doesn't even do the like yeah yeah yes yeah. in it. And I'm like. Just sing the yes. Kurt wanted them in there, like True. a bit, a little bit, like she was trying to improve the song and strip it down, which obviously is her right to do. But I don't think it's a better cover than the original. It's just a version of the song. It's still a great song. 
I, I like it a lot, and I'm, I'm surprised to hear some intensity, like red football. It goes very intense in the back. Like, we were just talking about Harbor, how you like the metal inspiration. Mm-hmm. Red football has that vibe, too. Like, at the end of the song, it just gets very intense. There's drums very quick and all that stuff. Um, Fire in Babylon is also really good, like, yeah. actual opener of the album. I like that song a lot. Yeah, it's a good album. I didn't, haven't heard it enough times to really let the the deeper cuts sink in. But that's something I learned from preparing preparing for this episode is that pretty much all her albums have have merit. Yeah, like you could did. listen to any of these and get a lot from them, with maybe one or two exceptions. But I'm not going to be an expert on anything post. Uh, am I not uh, your girl? That's fine. That's fine. Um, you were telling me that her and, and Joni Mitchell have they they do their own artwork and it's on the album. Which albums by Joni has she? It's her album cover. It's one of her early ones. Is just a painting of her face and some flowers. She painted that herself. Ah, and it's okay. a very technically skilled painting she's a good painter and i've heard joni say some really cool things about being a musician and a painter that i really strongly identify with like she's like i i don't ever get bored with music or art because she and she used a crop rotation metaphor like how farmers rotate the crops they grow in the soil like she does the same thing with her creativity. So when she's burned out on music, she goes and paints. And when she's burned out on painting, she goes back to Wow, to that's art. a good philosophy. That's good. It's really good. And I actually just found a journal I had when I was like 18, 19. And I was writing about just like my own yeah. creative journey. And I wrote the exact same thing down to the to the ex- same exact expression of crop rotation. Isn't that crazy how you discover yourself... As an old, as you get older, like reading about yourself as you're younger, and you're asking yourself, "What the hell happened to me?" Yeah, yeah. it's it was a weird experience. I just this is just in the last couple of weeks I found this old journal and I needed something to write on when I was waiting for Brooke at a art sale she was doing. So I was just like writing in this, but then flipping back through the old pages, I was like, "Damn, I I was actually very self aware at age." my late teens, early 20s, and I didn't really realize it at the time. And I feel a lot like duller of mind now, probably from all my years of like substance abuse. (laughs) I just feel like my brain doesn't work as sharply as it used to. And I think that's also just getting older. We lose brain cells. As we get older, we just do that. And also as we get older, we get traumatized by our own doubts and doubts from or 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 actions by taking from the outside force. So we don't think about that. And yeah, we might have been naive as we were younger, but we might maybe have been more in tuned. Yeah. Yeah. I think kids are, once you reach like a certain age of self-awareness, you're, you're just as sharp and just as self-aware as you'll ever be pretty much. (laughs) The rest is just a progressive dulling of your senses. True. Which is depressing to think about, but, uh, you know, that's how it goes. Okay, want to go to the next album? Please. Faith Faith and Courage, uh, released in uh, June 13th of 2000. 
You know, I was curious to look at what labels all these albums are released on because something tells me she jumped around from label to label a bit later in her life. Like labels kept dropping her for being too inflammatory in the press. Yeah. And But I don't know for sure. Maybe all these first no, right. five, six albums are all the same label. Um, the first uh, three, four is from the same label, Ensign Chrysalis, and Faith and Courage is the first time she goes to a different label, which is Atlantic. Okay. Well, that's still a big label. What's on Faith and Courage? You'll have to refresh my memory. Uh, I, I personally think the record was okay. It wasn't this good, but it still had like the same vibe and ambience as uh, Universal Mother, which I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. The Healing Room is the one that I talked about. Very good song. No Man's Woman, Jealous, Dancing Lessons, Daddy, I'm Fine, Till I Whisper You Something, Hold Back the Night, What Doesn't Belong to Me, The State I'm In, The Lamb's Book of Life, If You Ever, Emma Song, and Kyrie Ellison, which is a traditional song. Which I like that one, though. Which I think she was like also trying to get more into her Irish roots. I mean, you see a lot of Irish inspiration in her discography. Tell me what the album cover looks like. Pew! Okay, so we're already in... We're in 2000 We're in 2000, now. yes. That's, okay, this is like kind of the last album on Spotify of this period. It jumps all the way to like and then, her last album, I think, yeah, after this. Yes, yes. Which is so weird why artists as big as Sinead O'Connor can have half their discography just not available for mass consumption to the point where you were like, oh, Sinead O'Connor just has five or six albums because you just look at the Spotify discography. She has 10. She's got like half of them are just not on Spotify. Shame on you, record labels. Shame on you. Shame on you, Spotify. I don't know. We don't know. But Spotify doesn't really dictate it. It's whoever is paying the fees and stuff to keep these albums available for streaming. You're doing a disservice for the fans. At us, we want to know everything about her. That's why we go to YouTube Music, I guess. It, it made me start wondering. Well, that's that's another thing I don't get. Like YouTube Music is, are you just hearing the YouTube video that some fan ripped from their CD and it's, putting online? It's a little bit of both, I guess. I mean, I I will let you know as I go by because they do show, like you know, because you do notice that like certain artists have their music there, so you have that. And then also you have the live renditions of it, too. So needless to say, YouTube Music has more music than Spotify. But there's an interface that's different from using like the YouTube video app on your phone. It's just, just for music. You're yeah. just hearing the audio. Yeah. But is it being pulled from these all these live recordings you can also hear on YouTube with I ads? think so. I, I, but I think YouTube Music, there's an option that you can listen to it without the ads. Yeah, if you're paying for yeah, a YouTube yeah, music subscription, I would assume you're getting some kind of ad-free experience. But some of the audio quality and some of those live performances, if they're uploaded by a random person, they're they're not, not good. good. They're not good. Yeah, you, you get that. I don't understand the but, business model. We'll see, but I've been reading the reviews and people prefer YouTube music over Spotify. So, Okay, well, that... Uh, Faith and Courage is still on Spotify, but the next four or five albums we were listening to just on YouTube, at least I was, because they're not on Spotify. They're not on Spotify. And they're some of my favorite work of hers. I'll just say that. The album afterwards uh, is Throw Down Your Arms, which is released on October 4th, 2005. 
This might it's be her reggae album. album. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> it's 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 surprise. I mean, it's not surprising, but it's surprising because I was not expecting her to do a full reggae album. But at the same time, it makes sense because she do, she does like that stuff. You were talking about that song on the first album, Mendinka, Mendinka, mm-hmm. you know, African roots, and she does covers Bob Marley. So it makes sense for her to do this, but I think it was yeah. Okay. I I. S- it's pretty just straightforward covers of reggae classics. She's not like writing her own songs in a reggae style, so it's not that artistically groundbreaking, but oh. I liked it a lot. My uh Did we miss an album? I think we did. We did miss an album. Before that it was I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna slaughter it. It's oh, called yeah. Shaw Knows Nua, which this is, is also more Irish folk talk. It's basically tunes. all uh, folk, folk songs. You know, she covers a lot of songs. And you're right, she goes to a different label. This one is Vanguard. Okay, so she only had one with Atlantic, Faith yes. and Courage. They're yes. like they dropped her after one. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry we didn't give Faith and Courage that much attention, but I honestly don't remember any music from it. Yeah, I mean, if you like Universal Mother, you'll enjoy this one, but it doesn't beat Universal Mother. So. Sean Noah's Nua, which I believe in Gaelic or Irish means like the new old style or something. She's doing like her own modern take on these Irish folk tunes. I thought a lot of it's really pretty, really good like production choices. But it's funny to hear music that's so traditional played with this very synthy late 90s, early 2000s kick drum. Like, it's like kind of like trip hoppy it almost reminds you of portishead or, or something like that era yeah but it still has that soul that spirit of traditional irish music oh yeah absolutely re- respecting it at the same time i mean if you like irish music that's a good one um, i think it was all right you know so. i think uh her one of her baby daddies is the main musician and producer on this donald lunny he's like an irish traditional acoustic guitar player and bazooki he her most recent child who killed himself jake i think uh uh, is a child with the producer of this album donald okay but they weren't in a relationship at the time (laughs) i think they had that child in oh four or something and she had another marriage at at this point so someone i don't know anything about but i just found that interesting that she was working with the future father of one of her children on this album. Okay, then after that is Throw Down Your Arms, which we talked about. Then with that record label is Chocolate and Vanilla. Okay. And then another label, this label is Cock, Coach, K-O-C-H. How do you say that? Coke? Coach? Koch? I don't know. Koch slash Ruby Works. Uh, and the album is Theology, which... It's it's very mid mid this was mediocre. like a double album, right? It had a acoustic version and an electric version. There's eighty nine. It's eighty nine minutes long. So yes, the I listened to the acoustic version. Not super impressed. I guess it's all about religion. But I tried to find any examples of the London Sessions version of it, which is like the electric side. Yeah. There's only one song I could find on YouTube, and it was just slightly more electric than the acoustic version. It had some like drum kit doing rim shots for percussion, but otherwise it sounded the same. It was, I don't know why she felt the need to put out a double album with acoustic and electric version. If you notice that ever since the birth of CD, where they noticed that you can put about 
70 seconds, 70 minutes long of music, mm-hmm. people felt like you need to fill it up as much as you can. Yeah. Which is <laughs> annoying. Like, I mean, granted, like that, that same ideology was the same for LP because LP, you could only fill up up to 42 minutes. Um, and I like that length of a record. <laughs> but they went back to that because in the end, 35 to 50 minutes is a good length of a record, you know? Yeah. But the CDs kind of ruin it by saying like, hey, give them, give them their money's worth. Let's just make 70 mu- minutes worth of music. Mm. Sometimes like, no, less is more. Like having more is just can be too much sometimes. Yeah, I agreed. But I think Sinead, besides that double album, which is like two full CDs worth of music, she she keeps her albums under 50 minutes. She does. They're, she does. they're good, digestible length. I agree with that. And then her album after that is uh, How About I Be Me and You Be You, released in February 21st, 2012. Another like record label. It's called One Little Indian, R-E-D. And this one is my favorite after her being big. Oh. This one has that song that I was talking to you, Queen of Denmark, and all that stuff. Yeah, it's 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 really she's kind of getting into her roots, not into her roots, but into her original vibes of being punk again, and getting that punk inspiration is still going to it. Yeah, I I hearing the live album or live performance we were listening to setting up, I'd I'd see the energy and the quality of the songwriting in those i I, hearing it on the studio version it didn't make a huge impression on me but that's what happens when you listen to tens of hours of the same artist music in a short span of time it all kind of bleeds together because i think musicians they tend to just iterate on the same sound throughout their career and i'm kind of jealous in that film critic a music critic uh where she he took six months to just digest this which is that's what you should do Yet, um, I do want to say around this time, like she was kind of jumping religion from religion around 2000. She decided to be Catholic, and I think she was a Catholic priest. Uh, mm-hmm. So she started to enjoy that, which is kind of a weird thing, you know, like a cognitive dissonance because since she, you know, protested against that to the Pope. But again, you can say like she was showing the beauty of Catholicism. And, by being in it, but also calling them out on on their pedophilia and their child abuse. Very weird. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know her history with religions other than at some point in the 2010s, she starts performing with a hijab, basically, like a Muslim headscarf. I don't know if she's actually Muslim. No, she was Muslim. She she, she, uh, turned out to be Muslim. Uh, Let me check the time that she was Muslim and she even had, she even changed names and everything. Wow. Oh yeah. Uh, I have seen her with another name. Uh, I'm just gonna slaughter this, but, uh, Shuada Sadakat. Sadakat. Um, I think she raised, uh, she turned out to be Muslim around, uh, like 2017 around there, give or take. Wow. Okay, I found this information on Wikipedia. Take it as a grain of salt, but according to this, it says, on October 2018, O'Connor converted to Islam, calling it, quote, the natural conclusion of any intelligent theologian's journey, unquote. 
The ceremony was conducted by, in Ireland by Sunni Islamic theologian Shaki Umar Al-Qadri. She also changed her name to Shahada David. In a message on t- Twitter, she thanked fellow Muslims to, uh, for their support and uploaded a video of herself reciting an adhan, the Islamic call to prayer. She also posted photos of her wearing a hijab. She adopted the name Shuhada and later, and later changed her surname from David to Sadaqa, something like that. Can you give a credit for that source? I don't want to be the accused of that plagiarism. source was uh, Jamel Smith. Sinead O'Connor was a blessed soul, says Imam, the Independent, retrieved July 31st, 2023. Okay. Um, um, but yeah, so like she, she, went on a, she went on a journey with the religion, and I'm so happy that she went to Islam because Islam is a very beautiful religion. And I, and I'm not going to ask you this because you you do know this, but like, there's it's shocking. There's a lot of people who haven't met Muslims out there, and they obviously they're just they think Muslim people are violent people because of what the media says with the terrorism and all that stuff. But I say this: once you meet them, I've met Muslims who are the most kindest, peaceful people I've met in my life. Yeah, I absolutely. and and I've been considering converting to islam i've been really considering converting into it the reason i don't one of the biggest reasons i don't is like i'm i'm afraid of the discipline i can't i don't think i can pray five times a day it's just kind of a scary thought like not a scary thought like i, I don't think i have the the ability to, to, to do that yeah that seems like a big leap going from not practicing any religion to being one of the most strictest and most uh, prayerful religions there is exactly like why what would you even why why would you jump straight there but what but i think the reason people do that is because you can call it strict but i think that they, they're motive they're motivated because they feel that love from allah and they do it yeah and I, and I talk to muslims about that like how do you do it and they say like it comes it comes a habit afterwards you just start doing it yeah, I grew up yeah. watching my aunt and my my cousin prayer pray however many times a day. Have like always facing towards Mecca, all that stuff. So I I know it's I know how that is, but uh, I don't know what would motivate me to like convert or. I, I don't even feel like it's a conversion because I have no religion, but to just adopt a new religion as an adult, I feel like you you kind of have to be raised in it to fully be immersed in it <laughs> the way the native natives of that religion are. And I'm just not uh, never going to do that. I don't see it happening. Um, yeah, it's just very intense. And my kudos and respect for the Muslim community for doing that. Um, it's just pretty cool. I mean, I've been raised Catholic, and I just I remember as a kid like pressure to to pray before going to sleep, and I just didn't like it. And then as I get older, I I didn't appreciate that. And I guess that's one of the reasons why I appreciate Sinead because she she understands the trauma of Catholicism. And we also talked about how her mom just was not a good person. So there's there's a portion of that, but. Going back to her albums, her last album, which is on Spotify now, is I'm Not Bossy, I'm the Boss, released on August 11, 2014. The label is Network. Hmm. 
And this I is think her this last is album. her last album, full stop, not just on Spotify. I think they might be releasing some stuff because she was working on some stuff and then she died. Yeah. So it mentions that in the documentary, like she's currently at work on her last album or her next album, yeah. not knowing she was going to die. And it sounded like it was pretty far along. So I'm sure there's some unreleased they might work stuff. Into I'm yeah. not bossy. I'm the boss. I think it's a really solid album. It's it's poppy it's for poppy. the first time in a while. But there's that har- song Harbor, which is probably the standout for me from the album that goes into like thrash metal for the second half. Yeah. It's a lot um, of cool stuff. And Take Me to Church. Sinead was singing Take Me to Church before Hosier did. Really? I'll just okay. say that. Uh Different song. It's not a cover or the same song at all, but just as a chorus. As a title. Take me to church. I will say that her songs covered or played live gives a different vibe than hearing it on the record because hearing it on the record, I just didn't care for it. But I did enjoy the live renditions, and I might watch more of the live stuff on YouTube. Um, Now we can talk about her death. She died... Uh, I forget the date, but it was July of this year, 2023. He died in London, and several days before that, her son died. Was it only a matter of days? I thought it was at least months or something. um, uh, Well, the thing is, the reason I'm saying this is because they're talking about her last tweet, and her last tweet was showing the playlist of her son. Hmm. And then afterwards, she died, and they they still don't say the cause of death. It's it's uh, I don't know if it's because they really don't know, or if for privacy reasons. But but at the same time, for privacy reasons, that's not a, a legitimate legitimate reason. They still have to say a reason, a cause of death for a reason, you know. So I think I think the coroners couldn't un- explain why she died. Uh, I, I I legitimately legitimately is not a good word. I my my opinion again. I'm not a professional or anything like that. I think she she killed herself or unalive herself. Sorry, she unalive herself. I think it was suicide that she did it because she had a she did have a history of suicide. She tried to she tried to do that in the 2015 2014, like in the mid 2010s, around here in the Chicagoland area, Chicago Chicagoland area. So she also experienced depression, bipolarism. Uh, so I think that's yeah. my that's my theory. I could be wrong though. Uh, I mean, you would know more about the protocol of like the coroner and the medical examiner than me. But why would it be? Why wouldn't it be common knowledge if they if she definitively killed herself? Exactly. Like, why that's would we not know for sure? Exactly, that's my point. So they can't. That they means had, it might not have been a suicide. It might have been something else. Like it just ran. She her heart randomly stopped. Um, no. which has which has had there's there has been cases where just out of nowhere, your heart stops. It's not a or heart at least attack. It's like an accidental overdose yeah. or something. But like, as far as I know, she didn't have any kind of like drug usage. Like I know she smoked weed and all that stuff, but like she wasn't like like yeah, when it came to Prince. That, Prince w- Prince's death was because he used a lot of. Uh, opiates right like yeah because he had like stomach issues and it was a lot of stomach pains so he took too much and then that in the elevator in his home so they 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 said that you know it wasn't mm-hmm. people and then there's this controversial conversation people say that was a suicide is overdose a suicide mm, i don't think it is but no. people think it is i don't 
No, for me, suicide is a, means an intentional ending of your life. It's an overdose would not, if it's an accidental overdose, which I guess you you wouldn't know if you can't ask the person after it happens. But that's not a doesn't count if it's accidental. So, so her cause of death is unknown to this date. It's still unknown. Um, yeah, which is to me is very suspicious. Very very if, suspicious. If it's clearly a suicide, so I, I'm not going to say for sure that she killed herself so uh maybe it was an accident like she did lose her youngest child but she has like three or four other older children that would have given her a reason to live and she has a song called eight reasons i think it's called eight reasons and it's about like having eight reasons to live and i don't know what specifically she means but i'm sure her children were part of that and she felt like someone affirming life and excited to put out new music in the future. She had been through a lot already in her life. I don't think as hard as it was, the loss of her child wouldn't have made her suddenly like decide to stop living. But I guess we'll never know. It's just a mystery. Well, um, the future of Sinead O'Connor's music is I, I do believe that we might hear more of her music in the future. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about it when it happens. Uh, but other than that, that's that. Overall, I, I, I really enjoyed her music, and I'm happy that we assigned this project for us. Uh, I will be listening to her music more often, and uh, yeah, that's all I have yeah. to say. What about you? Same, same here. Yeah, I think you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> Nothing to add, really, that I haven't already said in the past two hours. I think this is going to be one of our longer episodes, but it all felt relevant, so probably yes. we'll keep it in. <laughs> yes. Um, what's the next assignment? Do you know? Well, I do think we should start preparing for a new music one that I haven't decided on, but I think the next episode should be our Diego Rivera okay. talk. All right. Which I haven't done any research on yet, but we did R- Remedios already, and I'm assuming we're both working on our copies, and that can be our next topic. You've done more than I have, which mesmerizing what you've done so far. That was just, it's just an ink drawing. You can do the same thing in yeah, a few you're, hours. You're so quick with that. And then, like, I mean, if you want to talk about it right now, that's cool, but like, I like what that you put one side, Frida, and the other side, Diego. Yeah. And you're showing like a little glimpse of all of Diego's work, not just one. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you picked up on that. that That's kind of what I was doing. You put a lot of thought into it. And I'm, I it, put no thought. I just started drawing and then I just kept looking at different Diego Rivera pictures God on damn Google. Damn, you're a genius, you know that? <laughs> I'm literally like collaging his paintings together. But I'm struggling into mine. Now. Like I don't know how to do this like cuz I want to show respect to Ramethios, but at the same time like you're I'm, you're overthinking it. That's the thing you have to not think about it so much. You just start drawing and like look at different parts of her work that you like and just copy them into a picture. It'll add up to something. You don't have to know what it's going to be before you start. That just like paralyzes you. I guess I'll start working on because you can draw. You can draw the shit out of those paintings. I I've seen your sketches and they look just as cool as Remedios. No, I'm, see, again, take a compliment, Oscar. The uh, <laughs> I mean, you're trying to yeah. change them and make yeah. them skulls, which I feel like is adding a whole level of difficulty to it. Yeah, I guess. If you so. just paint some of her people, you can add skulls to it later, but just. 
You tell me we're supposed to copy their work. No, I didn't like say copy. I, I meant like do your version of it. Do you like? Obviously, you you see that you're doing Diego, but do your style. Do do your version of it. Doesn't I yeah. don't mean that you need to copy exactly. But you could do your own, add your own pizzazz to it, but show that like okay. this is you giving homage or tribute to Diego. Well, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. So I'm taking different parts of Diego Rivera paintings and just basically mashing them together. So, I mean, just advice to make it less stressful on yourself. Just do the same thing with Hermetios. Just do take parts you like and put them together instead of having to make up like skeletons out of these figures. That's really hard to do. Yeah, I've noticed that doing skeletons are hard. <laughs> yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> All right. right. Thanks for watching. Definitely. <laughs> Thank you so much for watching this. And uh, please give Sinead O'Connor a chance. You'll you'll really you really enjoy it. Thank you. Take care. I, I was just as you were saying that, thinking of a comparison we could give. Like if you if you like Cocktoo Twins and Enya, but you want it to be a little more raw and punk, Sinead O'Connor might be. It's pretty your good. Your favorite artist. It's pretty good. She's kind of like the punk Enya, I feel, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I guess we'll just shut this down now and try music later. Yeah, let's do that. Margaret Thatcher! Man, I really wish we had a girl to sing this song. Yeah. I think we... Uh, I think we should do something about that. Oh my God, Brooke, where did you come from? Oh, you rubbed the genius lamp. Now let's jam, guys. Yeah.
with me Thank you for holding me And saying I could be Thank you for saying, baby Thank you for holding me Thank you for helping me Thank you for helping me Thank you for helping me Thank, thank you for helping me Thank you for breaking my heart Thank you for tearing me apart Now I'm a strong, strong heart Thank you for breaking my heart CGD, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, fourth fret, cake. Uh, I don't need this one.